you're listening to the Man Overseas Podcast, a show that explores methods and ideas to help you live a bigger life. You will hear interesting stories of how people live, how they save and invest their money, and why having time wealth is better than being a billionaire. If you are entertained, educated, or elevated, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're just getting started. Now here is your host, Brad D'Antonio. Hello, beautiful listeners. I'm so glad you could join me today. If you're a first-time listener, whether that's north of the border in the Vancouver, Canada area, where my guest moved his family six years ago, which says a lot about him, by the way. I'm, I'm a big fan of guys who are adept risk-takers. They take calculated risk, and as you can tell, I put that in the subject of this episode because I'm such a big fan of it. Yeah, he took a little more money to move his family halfway across the world. But the fact that he was willing to leave everything he knew and take his family of five with him, God love him. So if you're a first-time listener there in Canada or you're across the pond where my guest is from, or let's say you're in the States and you just found the podcast because somebody at work was like, man, all you listen to is sports radio You could be leveling up, learning something new from a guest that man overseas bribes to be on his podcast. Just as an example, my last guest was Russian. She had unbelievable opinions on Putin, Zelensky. She talked about how embedded into their culture the need to grow your own food is just in case all fit hits the shan. And... I say unbelievable opinions, I think that's the word I use, but just contrary to what you would expect. Thus, I think you ought to give the podcast a shot. I'm just facilitating here, but I learn all sorts of things from my guest. If it's not your bag, baby, which is a British reference, then back to sports radio. No harm, no foul. Sports reference. So we cover a lot here. We're versatile that way. If any of what I've just described is you, if you're a versatile guy, I'm so glad you're here and I hope you stick around for an episode or two. See if you like it. If not, hey, I'm not for everybody. My guests are not for everybody. That's not to neglect those who've been with me since the beginning. You guys and gals, you're my ride or dies. You're the ones who know exactly who I'm talking to when I say, hello, beautiful listeners. You're the beautiful ones. But if my day ones will pardon me for just a second, I really want to extend a special invitation to my folks from around the world. And whether it's word up, what's the dealio, manilios, or bienvenidos might be more appropriate where I am now. The mic I speak into has been transported to a small town in Guatemala. So that's where the overseas fam will be, at least until, I don't know, gas prices come down, inflation gets under control. There's a a lot to leave temporarily. And here, it's springtime year-round. It's glorious. So if you're paying $4.19 a gallon and while you're pumping your gas, you're dealing with 102 degrees and humidity out the wazoo, this is a great place to be. I was looking at the forecast for the next 10 days. 
62 is the low, 71 the high. And we're talking Fahrenheit, folks. Hard to beat. And I realize this is a drawn-out welcome to those first-time listeners from across the body of water where the tip of an iceberg once split an unsinkable ship, <laughs> sending 1,500 or so people gurgling to the great certainty. Did you know that, by the way, of those who died titanically, only 340 of those bodies were recovered? That means 1,160 of them Basic math is my forte, by the way. 1160 are out there swimming with the sharks, with bin Laden. Not a good way to go out. It was a little over 700 who survived by hanging on to a piano or, or something. I don't know those details, but I'm sure those 700 are no longer with us either. Because that unsinkable shit, shit, I'm about to say shit, like P.O.S., sunk in 1912. So you'd need to be pushing about 116 or so to have any memory of Rose or Jack walking the halls. <laughs> Let's get back to my guest, shall we? He's got a beautiful family, not only wife Michaela, but the three kids he totes around with him or were toting with him. He was toting. I, I don't use the word toting often, and it's obvious I don't know how to use it, but they were with him when we met. And he's one of those guys you see at the hotel pool, and if you're 23, 24, you think to yourself, you know, if my life turned out the way that dude's life has, sign me up for that. He's a solid guy. His name is James Corfield. He goes by Jim, which most Jameses do. If you're curious why that is, I've spelled it out in the show notes, even went a little deeper than that. But I'll tell you now, people wanted a shorter more familiar way to refer to people named James. And so they changed the vowel because it was it was believed that Jim sounded better than Jam. And I don't know about that. Who's with me? Don't let me have a little boy named James because good chance, you know, I'm a little different going in. So you'd probably learn soon enough that he's going by Jam. <laughs> he wants people to call him Jammy. I'm, I'm letting him. There's a lot of gyms out there, many who differentiate themselves with a Jimmy or a Jimbo, but but don't dare me to mix in a jammy, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. That's how I see it from here. Obviously, I'm in the nosebleeds. Small town Guatemala, just lucky to have a solid Wi-Fi connection at this point. But mom, nobody's pregnant, nobody's trying to be pregnant. I'm just, I don't know, talking out of my better side. And that's the second episode in a row that I've talked about my better side. So I'm not going to tell you what we talk about today, but we cover a wide range of topics having to do with money and getting rich slowly and taking big risks and small town mentality, thinking it can't be done, leveling up in all areas of life. And just getting better. Because if you wake up and you want to get better every day, I happen to believe the universe conspires with you to ensure that that happens. But a lot of times you have to write down what it is that you want. And if you know what you want, 
I said the universe because I know my guest is not a prayerful or meditative person, but I happen to believe the good Lord will see to it that you get what you want if you want it bad enough. So be careful in desiring too much what it is that you want if you truly don't want it. I hope you enjoy my chat with Mr. Jim Corfield. Jim, can't thank you enough for being here, man. Appreciate uh, it. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, so we met at the pool in Playa del Carmen. We sure did. Why are you here? Uh, I'm here because my wife wanted a vacation, <laughs> pretty much. She surprised me one one day with this, this idea. and I, I mean, I wasn't going to say no. <laughs> Don't you think that's usually the case, that men would go without vacations for years? It usually takes the woman, the wife, saying... Hey, I'm ready. Let's let's go on a vacation. One hundred percent. And do I'm, you say plan plan everything and we'll go? Is that how that works? I mean, I don't, but she does it, and I'm happy that she does it. You know, I'm I'm kind of you know like a system robot, I guess. You get up in the morning, I go and do my thing. I go to work, I come home, we make dinner, it's time with the kids, and just repeat, repeat. You're, you're repeat. a routine man. Yeah. What so, would you do without your routine? <laughs> would you be lost? We, the joke my wife and I always have is if if she left me and the kids for long enough, she'd come back and we'd be starving, cold, and dirty. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much living in a pigsty. <laughs> and you say cold because you are from... Well, we're from the UK, but okay. we now live in Vancouver in uh, British Columbia, Western Canada. It was a, a decision we made uh, almost six years ago now. Why? Um me personally, I've I've always had like a little soft spot growing up. I grew up in a, in a little town in England. I got into hockey. Uh, I met a bunch of the pros that I met that first couple days, weekends that I went to watch. They're all Canadian guys. Awesome, awesome human beings. Just some of the nicest guys you could ever hope to meet. And, you know, they tell me about playing hockey and when they were young and been out on the ponds and, you know, like skating till they're you know, their toes are frozen and, <laughs> and then, you know, it's like all oh, in the summer and you got the, you know, the lakes and the mountains and go hiking or like all this. And I was just like, oh my God, like, Get I, me I, there. I have got to go to Canada. Yeah. Like, I just have to go to Canada. I was eight, eight or nine years old at the time when like I first met these guys and I didn't actually get to Canada until I was 17. And in, in that time span, I started playing hockey and there was, there was opportunities to make divisional teams, national teams, and they always did. There was the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. There was tournaments in Ontario, tournaments in Alberta. And like, I was pretty good, I guess, at that age, like not good enough. Like I always got to like the last selection or, you know, there's like 25 guys and they need 23. And I was always one of the the two that was like, well, you know, if anyone gets injured, which they never did. And I was just like, I, I felt like I was, I was so close for so many years. I almost had like a, a kind of a hatred for it, but you, you go and I go meet these guys and they're like, oh, like you come with me in the summer or like, you know, we'll go hang out. And you know, my parents are just, no. Why? Why your <laughs> um, parents didn't they, want you playing well, hockey? My, my mom was like, my mom was awesome. She was part of like the, the hockey committee. She'd come down and do game sheets. She'd be a goal judge. She'd sort out the teams at like tournaments and or, you know, she was always there. She was always doing something in some 
some aspect like of a soccer whatever. mom but yeah for hockey, yeah she yeah. was yeah she was she was like a legit hockey mom like she's mm. the best my dad had a kind of stranglehold on on the funds and was just like nope i got a golf trip where were you <laughs> living at the time i was in a, a little town called wellington that's in a slightly bigger area of telford uh, okay west midlands of england I think Birmingham, it's like kind of central, like halfway between Birmingham and the Welsh border. I can't even say it because we say Birmingham in yeah, the States, Birmingham. in Alabama. It's bringing, Birmingham. Well, in, in Birmingham, they have quite a strong accent. It's just Birmingham. <laughs> but we, for the most part, everyone calls it Brum. Why? Shorter? Uh, just shorter, yeah. Because yeah. saying Birmingham is a bit, this takes forever. <laughs> so they, say, they say Brum. So why is it famous? Is is one of the Beatles from there or something? Well, I mean, Birmingham's just, like, it's a pretty big city. There's nothing too famous. Uh, like, what's the population? Three million? Four million? Yeah, probably some I think okay. recently, it's, uh, the population's overtaken London. Like, it's the, I think Jeez. it's the biggest, like, the biggest populated city in, in England. Okay. I think. And so a train ride from London to Brum is how uh, far? Probably like an hour and a half. England's a tiny island. So one of the things moving to Canada, I speak to these people, you know, they're like, oh, you should go see this place, go see that place. And, you know, I do a quick Google map. Holy shit, like, it's like 10 hours away. Oh, the and, States and is they're ridiculous. Like, they're like, yeah, yeah, it's BC. I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's a 10-hour drive. My, my, my kids hate the 10-minute drive to school. <laughs> like, you know, I got buddies that are like, oh, well, I, I drove to Winnipeg. It was like a day. It's like 22 hours. I was like... I did 22 hours from my home. I'd be in like Italy. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, Europe like, is there. Europe is small. Growing up, Birmingham was the big city. People didn't even speak about London because they're like, oh, it's like miles. Like that's, I don't even worry about London. It's miles and miles away. So you said your dad had a stranglehold on the funds. What did he do well, for a living? Oh, well, my dad, uh, he's a carpenter by trade. Um, he, he was parts of other businesses. You know, he was the co-director, co-managing director. Um, he he run like big joinery shops. It's like making on the smaller scale. They do like office furniture. Okay. Bigger scale. It's like full retail outlet stores. Joinery like, is yeah. that an English word? I've never heard that. I, mm. I haven't heard it since being in Canada. They just refer to it as Finnish, like Finnish carpentry. So he, he was entrepreneurial. I mean, he was trying to do a bunch of different things. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember when when I was really young, my granddad ran his own construction company. He was a carpenter as well. I'm a carpenter. It's you knew um, you'd be a carpenter when you were 12? Not necessarily. I, I mean, in the summers, I, I would work on sites with my dad. Like, I'd, I didn't have, <laughs> didn't have much of a choice. Uh, I remember, you know, some of my friends were like, oh, my parents are taking us to Spain or we're going to France. Or, and like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm going to, uh, like, Norma's house down the road. We're doing a reno. And would like, he pay you? Not a whole lot. My dad was the best. He's, he's an awesome guy, and he's so much knowledge in me to help me like in in our field but he'd he'd be like this you're getting paid in experience and one uh, of those tough I'd love be, kind of like, guy i'd be like well like uh, that's that's great but i'd like to be paid in <laughs> money and yeah. in some sort of currency and this apprenticeship like, can yeah, only yeah, last so many years like, but you know i mean i was i was really i was probably like 13 or 14 that first summer just sweeping up shavings or like carrying lumber just doing bitch work. Yeah. yeah. The, the gopher. Are you grateful for it, it now, though? 100%. Really? Or like 1,000%. Why? And although I didn't know it at the time, he was instilling in me like a work ethic. Mm-hmm. And he, he's been in construction in, you know, in our area his whole life. And you know, he learned from, from my granddad. Like I, I saw it as him being a bit of an asshole. He just saw it as like tough love. Mm-hmm. But I look now, and there's people that I've met that didn't have that kind of 
bringing up that you know that training or whatever and you know I, some of my friends or whatever and we look and we're like he's not gonna make it 100 mm. percent. you're like yeah. you're like hey okay but because they didn't yeah. have a father in the home they or just, because they just had a pansy father they, yeah, who didn't just, stand up just, for himself yeah it just didn't really didn't teach him to be a man i guess yeah. like i don't want to sound like a chauvinist or anything but you know my my dad at he's like stand up for yourself tell him no tell him to go stuff it up his ass like you know, you're better than that. Know, know your worth and know who you are. But he he was the guy who was saying that to me, being like, shut up, like, go do that. You're the, you're the donkey. Go and grab it. Bring it over here. Do this. Mm-hmm. And, like, he, like I said, at the time, I was like, oh, my God. And he, I get home, and I'm like, oh, how was your day? I don't want to talk about it. And she's like, oh, is your dad being nice? No. <laughs> and, you know, but like I said, I look now. What'd your grandfather do? My grandfather was a carpenter, same as my dad. It's it's where he got it from. He when I was when I was little, like my 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 grandfather, my granddad Clive passed away when I think I I was probably eight or nine. He he was similar to my dad, but he was that you know obviously that bit older and was like still a child. (laughs) And I'd go around to his house, and my granddad used to grow all his own fruits and veg like at the bottom of his garden. And I was always the donkey carrying the bucket with all the stuff in it. The little difference between my dad and my granddad was, you know, I'd, I'd get to the kitchen and I'd, I'd meet my nan and, you know, I brought her this bucket of stuff and he'd be, like, so congratulatory of me and be like, he's like, look what he did, grandma. Like, he looked it all the way from the bottom of the car, all on his own. And I got, like, five carrots and, like, four potatoes or something. And <laughs> my granddad's got this thing on his arm and he's, like, trying to kind of sneakily drop it all on the table because he's been mm-hmm. killing his back because he's, like, 70 years old. Yeah. But he was, yeah, he was awesome. He taught me a whole lot. Mm-hmm. The, the time I didn't realize I was learning, I'm just like, oh, this is cool. I get to play with all granddad's tools in the shop. Like, it's... What's the best advice your grandfather ever gave you? Work hard. It's all, it's, he always told me, he's like, you don't get anywhere by not putting the effort in. He's like, you, don't, he's like, you want to do something? He's like, put the effort in. Mm. He's, like, he's like, even if you don't want to do something, put the effort in. He's like, you don't know who's watching. He's like, it might be something you, you don't like doing. He's like, you might be doing it for free as a favor. He's like, put the effort in. It sets, he, he's, he said it, it'll set a, like a, a personality trait for you. Like if you, if you repeat things enough, it, it becomes you know, like autonomous and he's like and then if you do those autonomous things long enough it becomes a trait and then as you continue and you do those traits that becomes your personality that's who you are and if you slack off in this task you're going to slack off in the next task forward down the line everyone looks at you like oh yeah he's a guy who slacks off Reminds me of the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. Have you heard of him at all? Uh, I've heard of him. I've not, I've not read the he book. He talks about every little thing you do is a vote for the sort of person that you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. And while you were talking, I was thinking about how you do anything is how you do everything. And another thought that That's flashed a, through my mind was I remember hearing when I was a kid that Joe DiMaggio said, that the reason he played so hard is because there could be a kid in the stands who's seeing him play for the first time. And I thought, well, if Joe DiMaggio, who doesn't need to play that hard, who makes a lot of money and dates Marilyn Monroe, if he thinks that way, when he can go out there and lollygag if he wanted to or take a day off, who am I not to bust ass every time I cross between the lines and play baseball? So there's so much to be gleaned yeah. from quotes 
and advice given from parents and grandparents. And a lot of times we take it for granted when we're little. I'll give you an example. My grandfather played in the big leagues. He roomed with Stan Musial in the minor leagues. Stan oh, Musial cool. went on to be yeah. a Hall of Famer. And yeah. I would I would truly sacrifice a digit from each hand to have him back and get him on the podcast. No kidding. He might have no to do kidding. two or three of them for me to sacrifice yeah. both digits, but that's how much that would mean to me. Yeah. And when I was little, I, I was a bit of a precocious kid in that I was... Uh, 12 going on 30, so I appreciated yeah. <laughs> what he offered, yeah. but not enough. And I didn't ask enough questions. I was intimidated. You know, you're yeah. always kind of, I shouldn't make this universal, but I, speaking for myself personally, I was intimidated by adults. I wouldn't ask questions to get better. And so I've written a piece that is advice to my 20-year-old self. You heard the, the solo podcast yeah. episode yeah. that I did that was a deeper dive. If I were to give advice to my seven-year-old self, it would be, don't be intimidated by adults, ask questions, then ask another question, and then ask a follow-up question. Let them be bothered by you asking questions. You'll get get some guy, it's like you said earlier, you don't know who's watching, you don't know who's going to be impressed with your curiosity, give you an apprenticeship, and teach you everything you need to know. That's exactly it. I remember I, I watched an interview from the late Kobe Bryant and he he remembers being a kid and whenever the Bulls were in town, he was you know, obviously a fan of Michael Jordan like everyone was. And he he like all he wanted was to see Michael Jordan play and saved up and spoke to his mom and the story went that he, he ended up and he was up in the nosebleeds way out and then Michael Jordan didn't play that game. He was he was an injured scratch. And he said like when you know, obviously he became Kobe Bryant, like the superstar that we all watched. And he said, like, whenever he was kind of not feeling 100%, he thought back to when he was a kid and he's like, well, how many kids are in, you know, this 20,000 seat arena now that, you know, they've not just got a ticket. They've been saving up their, you know, their pocket money or, you know, they've been clearing the yard, whatever it is to come and they, they want to see Kobe Bryant. And he said it, it was little things like that. And remembering when he was a kid that pushed him forward and being like, no, like, I'm going to play today. He's like, I'm going to give it my all because some kid has given his all just to be sat up there to come and watch me. I uh, love it. What were you doing when you heard Kobe Bryant died? I was at work. I, I, and I remember reading it and I, like, the first thing I, that, I was, that I saw was there was a helicopter crash. Like, in, you know, obviously, you think, like, oh, there's, not, there's only kind of one way that those things go. It's not like a plane that can kind of float down. And then they were saying like it's Kobe Bryant and I couldn't couldn't believe it and then they said like, uh, he was with his daughter as well and he's like Phew. like holy that was his daughter's age uh, yeah yeah what do you have three kids um, three yeah Elliot, Evie and Dylan what are they uh, almost 12 9 and 5 were they okay with moving your older ones the whole <laughs> the whole getting a job was the craziest thing ever so, like, I've wanted to move to Canada since I was 10 years old, and I met Chuck Taylor, and uh, I met Wayne Crawford, I met Carl Galloway, all these awesome, big Canadian superstar hockey players, as I saw it. And, you know, in a little town in England, I don't think they'd consider themselves superstars, but for me, being that kid in the stand, I was, like, blown away by them. My wife and I looked, and we've been looking at different immigration programs, and the only the only one that we kind of fit into it was called the Atlantic Immigration Pilot, and it meant I was moving to Nova Scotia. 
Well, we looked up like the economy. It's not great. It's a small town. Their winters are brutal, absolutely brutal. And we were like, eh, I don't know. Like it's you know we we put our names down the list and you know we filled out some of the requirement forms and we were kind of looking. And I think I remember at one point it was like I I qualified better as a farmer, and I was like. Like I fake being a farmer. Mm-hmm. Like how hard can it be? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I was I was literally sat on Facebook one night and like I'm part of a few groups, a few carpentry groups and stuff like that. And then this guy came up and he was looking for carpenters to move to Vancouver. And my wife had, and I we'd been to Vancouver the year before and like we loved it. I've got friends that have moved from my hometown that moved out there. And I was like, oh, I can't believe it. And like I remember going upstairs like and I put a like on this post. I was like the only person that did it. And the guy messaged me saying, hey, like I saw you liked it, blah, blah, blah. And I, I went upstairs, I spoke to my wife. She was just getting ready for bed. And I was like, so this, this guy's just messaged me. And she's like, did you message him back? It's like, oh, he said he wants to call me. She's like, so go give him your number. And I was like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I sent it to him and he, he gave me a call and we had a chat. He, he could do all of the, um, like for BC, in if you're going over into the, the labor market, you know, you, you're going to be working for a living. You have to do this labor market impact assessment that is, I think it's like 1500 bucks or something. And uh, he was like, oh, we'll cover all that. We'll, we'll do that side of it. He's like, we'll, you know, we'll start the, the immigration process. And I went and spoke to my wife and I was like, this, like, this could happen. Like, this is real. We're going to do this. And uh, she, she looked at me and she smiled. She went, okay. And I had a chat with him and we spoke about what he does and, you know, what he offers. And I, like I said, I have friends in Canada, so I'm like, hey, this is what this guy's saying. This is what he's offering. And my buddy Matt replied and he's like, snatch his fucking hand off. He's like, get your shit together. Let's like get over here. And I was like, oh, like. So you had a, a buddy. Yeah, yeah. And like Vancouver. And his, yeah. like his, uh, Matt's wife, Rianne works in construction she's a like construction manager and she works in construction and was like why is he not accepted it like she's like that's a great offer and i, I said to my wife and she's like uh well then tell him <laughs> and yeah. i was like uh yeah like but what uh, is it you do it was, what, what would be on your business card um so carpentry in general like i do framing finishing forming that's that's like bread and butter from back home and like renovations okay um historical renovations that we did like England's an old place with some really old buildings and there's ways of working with those things so you don't just collapse them to the ground. <laughs> Basically, you know, buildings have been stood there for like four or five hundred years. You, yeah. you, you can't just kind of go swing it in there and transferring that now to Vancouver where everything is brand new. Mm. Absolutely everything. I, I don't think I've seen There's a couple of heritage homes, but they're like, it's like, oh, you know, this was built in like 1950. <laughs> I'm like, oh, of course, it's not as old as my grandparents. Like, okay. <laughs> like, <awesome>. So <laughs> your average eight, nine-hour day, how much of that is manual labor? Right now, kind of none of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm more of the like quality control, uh, like structural side of it. So we, we have teams of framers and finishers that, that come in and they, they build our buildings and then my job basically is to manage them and to run through, make sure they're following drawings, make sure we're meeting code, that all structural uh, components are all in place and, and like managing their time. Like I don't have the drywall guys coming in before plumbers and electricians have done their first fix. So, so just kind of running that process. 
Did you have a lot to learn because of the country, Not, the differences in countries? Genuinely, the, the only differences I've found, one is metric imperial. In, in the UK, we use the metric system. In North America, we use the imperial system. I was fortunate that with my, with my dad, as he, when I was a kid, he'd give me measurements for different things, and he'd be like, I want this 11.58. And I'm like, okay, so use metric. And he's like, next one needs to be four foot two and an eighth. And I'm like, oh, okay, Imperial. And like, he, he tried to trick me and he tried and catch me out. And I remember at, at the time just thinking like, gee, like just pick one and we'll just work to that. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking at the time, like, you know, this is way more complicated than you need to make it old man. Like let's, but I look now and like, especially like, I didn't know at the time that, you know, I was, I was going to make the move. I wanted to go to Canada, but like, I didn't know I was going to live there. Mm-hmm. But I look now and I'm like, you know, even even some of the Canadians, I'm like, they're like, what's what's half of an eighth? <laughs> I'm like, it's a sixteenth. Yeah. And they're like, but sixteenth. Okay, like, let's not get into that. It just believe me when I say half an eighth is a sixteenth. Yeah. And they they look at them, like some of the older guys are like, but in the UK, you use the metric system. Like, yeah, we do. Like, so how do you know Imperial so well? And I'm like, oh, I'll tell you a little story about my father and how. He used to try and punish me. The old blessing on, in on disguise. A, on, a, on a daily basis. Yeah. That's fascinating. So did you make more money moving to Canada? That was part of the deal, huh? 100%. 100% um, more or 100% yes? One, 100% right. yes. I, I, I make more. Like being, like I said, Telford is is a little town. Yeah. And part of the problem being a little town is a, a little economy that only offers little money. Like granted... You know, houses are a lot cheaper and, and what have you, but I I think at the moment it's probably almost three times as much money, wow. I think, which was part of like when you know, I was talking to my wife and I was chatting with this guy in Canada and she's like, she's like, well, hang on. It's like, you know, we, we live a certain lifestyle. <laughs> Not that it's particularly high, but, you know, she likes a certain level of comfort, I guess. And I was like, oh, he's offering me this. And she's like, well, how does that work out in pounds? And I tell her, and she's like, okay, sign it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> we'll take that. <laughs> nice. So you moved there and bought a house? No, not even close. If you, you look into real estate in Vancouver, yeah, uh, like a, a one-bedroom apartment in Vancouver, like one-bedroom, one-bathroom, you're looking over a million dollars Canadian. And that's probably... Before six months ago, right? It's probably well, yeah, probably two million now. now. now I was like, yeah. oh boy. But you it's, wish you had bought. Yes, most of it, like we we had a, a rough start when we when we first moved there, and I don't want to go into too much of to put it nicely. He wasn't a hundred percent truthful about a few things. There's a few spots that you know, like I maybe didn't get paid what I was owed, and at the first house we moved to. Um, like I spoke to him because I said like look you know I've got three kids and we, we need to take this very seriously I'm like you know getting paid this and like you know you've lived in he's like I think he's been in Canada like probably 15 17 years having moved to, like he's a British expat himself so he'd done the move and he did it with kids agreeing to do it it's like well the guy that we're going to work for has done this exact process that we're doing like what better you know mentorship to have but have like not only is he my boss, but he's done exactly what we're doing. Like this is perfect, which it didn't turn out that way at all. And he was like, "Oh, you can go. You'd be able to afford rent of this much, and you'd be able to like go and get a truck that costs this much." He's like, "Don't even." He's like, "You know, you can do whatever hours you want. You can do this." And I was like, "Oh, this is perfect." And I said to my wife, 
when we move if you're happy to like do the setup of the house like i'll just go and just work my ass off and you know i'll be out of the house like 14 15 hours a day but whatever you know it, it'll be and then none of that was true and we we even went like we looked at some properties that we were renting and we were like well what do they look what kind of property we can get that's like a thousand dollars a month cheaper just so we have that like thousand dollars a month buffer zone for different things like you know we moved to a new country a whole new culture no one told me I need to get renters insurance and be paying like $27 a month for that. And then no one told me I'm getting this. That's another like 35 bucks a month. And we were like, Hmm, like even like, you know, he was telling me 3,500, like 2,500 is a, that, that's not a totally possible right now. And we ended like, I remember having a conversation with him. He's like, Hey man, like what, what the hell? And he's like, Oh, he's like, oh, come on. he's like, whatever. He's like, I own my house. Like we bought it. So he's like, I'm kind of out of touch with it, I guess sorry i'm like oh cool yeah you said sorry i gotta go get a u-haul i gotta try and find somewhere else for my family to live like you know i got dylan's you know a year and six more a year and four months old or whatever at the time like yeah thanks yeah cheers cheers, dude fuck face and you know then there was you know like some weekend work he's like oh i really need a hand doing this like you're the only guy that i trust to come and do it i'm like yeah sure like no problem you know spend a whole day saturday doing whatever it was and you know then He's like, he's like, oh, I haven't got the cash in me right now, so I'd give it to you on Friday. And I was like, yeah, sure, like whatever. And yeah, you know, like Friday comes and goes, and you're like, okay, cool. And yeah, that was, it made it easy to leave, put it that way. And you left? Yeah. At the, we got our permanent residency in the November, and uh, we have to sort out getting a new social security number and like they update you from a, like a temporary one to a permanent one as you go from temporary to permanent resident um we did all that kind of process and then as soon as like we got the official paperwork that came through that it, it came in just before christmas like the 22nd or 23rd of december or something i got the letter through the mail and i was like second of january which was like the first day back uh i called him and like he never answered his phone to text him saying like oh, I'll, I'll be in the office like first thing on the second and he was like, oh, okay, sure. And I get there and I was just like, like I'm done with you. Like, and he, he had been the, the person that I knew. He had a whole lot of you know, stuff to try and throw at me. I was like, I don't even care. Like, so what happens I'm, next? Well, being that I was a permanent resident, we can stay in Canada and just went and applied for some jobs. Uh, we were pretty smart. My, my, wife's, my wife's really good with the money and stuff. And I basically had like a two-week vacation like just hanging at home, taking the kids to and from school and, you know, hanging out at the park with them. Like it was, it was pretty awesome. I think I did two interviews. There's one guy who loved me, offered me a job and he's like, oh yeah, by the way, it's in Northern BC. It's about like 12 hour drive away. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank you, but no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, when I was in the interview with him, my phone was just blowing up, going nuts from this number trying to call me. He sent me a message like, oh, he's like, I'm going to, He's like, you, you guys are going to be done in Canada as soon as I'm finished with like my previous employer, the guy that did my visa. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like, cool guy. Oh, yeah, you're like, you're awesome. Thanks very much. Well, he was but, trying to be a tough guy, well, like come I, after I, well, you. Well, he he told me that, and he he said he's like he's like you're not going to be living in Canada as soon as I'm done with you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, what, like whatever, like you're literally nobody. And I, I got in touch. With this I called this number back, and it's the place I work at now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a company called Marcon is just amazing. And they were like, oh, we've been trying to get a hold of you. I'm like, yeah, I can see. And they're like, we need you to come in for an interview. Oh, uh, okay. When do you want to do it? Like, when you're free? 
just leaving an interview as it happens. And it turned out I'm like 10 minutes away. And I was like, yeah, okay, like, cool, I'll come down. And I, I sat down for this interview. They hand over a contract for me to sign. I met with a VP and he was, he was really nice. And he's like, oh, we're going to offer you this. And I thought exactly the same thing. So I'm like, well, you just handed me a contract. So like, I basically have this job. It's just, this is the bit where we negotiate, put, put a number on the table and maybe like, yeah, okay. And I was like, you wish you had, you had written more, huh? Well, always. And I kind of look and think, I wonder, wonder how much I could have got away with, but. You had all the leverage in the world, my brother. Yeah. That's, that was a lesson learned. I met an engineer at Starbucks yesterday. He was 52 years old, and I gave him three points on negotiation that he should use, and he's now going to hire me as his coach. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so usually that's all it takes. You're not taught negotiations in school, and yep. your employer does it so much more frequently than you do. We yep. maybe negotiate once every five or six years, especially from the part of the world we're from. Here... In Mexico, they do it all the time. Yeah. They think you're stupid if you don't negotiate. Yeah. We negotiated our Airbnb heavily. Yeah. We always do. So I told him, for example, if you get a number that you are happy with, if you are expecting 120 a year, you'd be happy with that, and they throw 140 at you, you have got to train yourself to be like 140. Yep. You, yep. It's and say face. nothing. Yes. And see what they say. The the older I get, the more you know. The more of these life situations that I go through. Too soon, I, old. I look too back late, smart. To my you know, like my time at school, and you know, I got kids that are in school now, and I'm like, why did you guys never teach me how to do my tax returns? How come you guys never told me about, you know, all these little loopholes in the system that can help me? The age-old joke that I hear a lot is like, oh, like, why did I learn Pythagoras' theorem? Like, I've never used that. Being a carpenter, like, I actually do use that a lot. So that, that reference doesn't really resonate with me. But I look and think, I learned a lot about the Second World War when, you know, when we're at school. Like, you know, from England, it's a big thing. As much as it's, you know, it's a great thing to learn. It's awesome to know about history and know how we got to where we are from where we were like that's great but like I don't have to do that every single year come tax time or you know I don't I don't need to know the date that Hitler did whatever I could really know with understanding how mortgages work and how APR percentages work on a credit card or like no nobody taught me any of that or you know when you go to a, a car dealership and they try and you know sell you all this extended cover and they give you all these words I'm like I don't even know what you're talking about it's 10 bucks a month like just sign you're like oh, okay why do you and think then, they don't teach us that I just think it's to keep us in the dark they don't they don't want people knowing all this information and they those that are in that position they can't exploit us for it that's that's what I think bingo yeah <laughs> They need us to be working. Yeah. 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 And I remember my dad saying when he, he went and got his first business license to start, you know, like he'd done his own stuff and then he did some like self-employed stuff, but you're still like in the system. You're still paying all the taxes for, you know, you're just an employee. I remember There's him, another bingo. Yeah. You use the T word. I remember him, I remember him saying when he, you go to like city hall and you know, you have to apply for the permit or whatever. And he said immediately, this lady's at the desk, like doesn't even look up and she's got a little stamper thing 
and it's like it's a six month this and just just reels off like a script basically it's like oh you know when a guy comes in and says he want to start his own business tell him like it's going to be a six month wait you need to fill out appendages a through z and you need and just put all this and i remember my dad saying he's like well no i've looked in he's like i need to sign that that and that and then you send me this and it's like that like oh yeah great someone actually knows like perfect like whatever and then she has to hand it over and you know, like normally people go oh really it's that like oh no i'll just go back and do my nine to five working for john smith or whatever and what my dad said he was like no like this is what i wanted like it's his like dream or whatever and he's like i want to go out and i want to do this on my own i want to do my own business the first interaction with the system at city hall and immediately given this script to just kind of <laughs> turn you around, mm. get back in the pen, stop trying to be the shepherd, you're just the sheep. Like, sit your ass in there. Mm-hmm. And he's like... Grabbing a bucket. Yeah, my dad said, he's, he's, he's like, John, he's like, I've known you for like 35 years. Why have you never told me this before? And he's like, oh, you've never asked. Why don't you tell everyone this? This is, you know, it's like we're having, I'm having an epiphany right now. Like, how, how have I not known that my entire life? And he's like, well, because, you know, you, you're not really supposed to know it. And it, Dude, there are some things that are that should be so obvious that I should have learned. I'm going to give you a gross example because this is a podcast and we can be candid. I didn't learn to wipe my own ass until I was like four or five. I, I, it took me forever. You know why? Because I didn't know or care what was going on behind me. I, my instructions were to stand up and turn around and they would take care of whatever was going on. Yeah. And so one day in front of... One of my friend's moms, my mom made fun of me saying, well, Bradley doesn't even wipe his own ass. And so that upset me. And on the way home, I said, Mom, you guys have never taught me how to wipe my own ass. How do I do it? And she says, well, you just wipe until there's no more doo-doo on the toilet paper. And that was an epiphany. I'm like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. That's it. You could have taught me that two years ago and saved yourself a lot, 700 days worth of... Yeah. Of ass wipe. <laughs> so, yeah, some yeah. things are so obvious and and yeah. they're not taught, but give me an idea of how much you're 35 years old. Give me an idea of how much money you make. In Canadian dollars, I'm around about 80 a year. 80,000? Yeah. What is that American? Any idea? Okay, so about $63,000. You're supporting a family of four. Does your wife well, five? five? Yeah, does your wife work? Uh, not right now. She, when we moved to Canada, apparently her uh, her qualifications are irrelevant. So she's redoing her psychology degree. Okay. In Canada. Okay. <laughs> you should be making a lot more money than that because I can tell from talking to you for forty three minutes that you are extremely well spoken, intelligent, funny, likable. <laughs> Have you ever considered like a sales career? So <laughs> funny you should say for our little town, like I was doing pretty well for myself. Uh, and there's a couple of friends of mine that were doing uh, like working in a call center, like cold calling basically, but they get paid, get like a standard hourly rate that wasn't too much less than what I was earning. Um, then they get a commission on the amount of calls that they made. And then they get a second higher commission on people that purchased the product, whatever it was. A friend of mine, Seb, who, like, he's awesome. He's been a friend of mine, so probably 10 years old. Like, he's awesome. He's not the most fluid, well-spoken person. And I remember thinking, nothing at Seb, like, I love him, he's the best. 
I'm like, well, if Seb does this, I'm like, I'm going to end up being his manager or something. And I remember going in and uh, I met with the uh, receptionist. She put me through to this other lady and we were having a bit of a chat. And she was like, before you go anywhere, before I tell you anything, it's like, I want you to come through and meet our boss. And I was like, oh, okay. And I went through and it's a, a big corner office and you know, there's a big dude sat there at a giant desk and just kind of like chilling back and it's great and I was like oh this guy's kind of doing okay like he's all right and he's like come in and sit down have a conversation we spoke and and he said to me I'm not going to offer you a position I have a problem with the way that you talk like not really been told anything before now and he said uh you seem far too fluid and he's like you can end up getting into a conversation with these people he's like I don't want that he's like I want you to sell my product and then people pay their money and then you go on to someone else and I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And he's like, no, you're too friendly, you're too likable. He's like, get out of my office. Okay, that means you need to be selling a higher priced product with a longer sales cycle where relationships are built. You don't realize how rare you are. Well, his, his business, ironically you're, now... You're 35 years old. People don't have the fucking skills you have, man. Well. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's getting more and more rare. And that's without COVID. You add COVID... It's even more rare. Yeah. Word to the wise. I mean, what do I know? But. Yeah. Well, I'll take it. I'll take any advice I can get. So uh, one, one thing I was taught is listen more than you speak, especially to people, you know, who are a little older, a little wiser. It's, I mean, <laughs> I heard from my dad at the time, shut your mouth, open your ears. Or literally all the time, shut your mouth, open your ears. You could go into sales and I think you'd get to six figures faster than an attorney one of my best friends is an attorney it took him six years to make six figures that's after spending money on education education moving around the country to go to different law schools i mean all sorts of hassle and he hated the job once he got into it all the the you deal with a lot of scummy people when you're in law Right, people who claim they want custody of their kids, but they really don't. Mm. You know, those sorts of people. Not to mention those who steal. And if you've ever spent, have you ever spent a night in jail? Uh, Only with a friend of mine, uh, because his dad was the chief of police. Just playing a joke on us. (laughs) Okay, so I spent a night one time. (laughs) I had a uh, $10 ticket that I received in May of... I don't know, 2002. And I was on my way to play baseball in Kansas that summer. And I neglected showing up to pay the ticket because I had to be there in June at some time. And I was in Kansas, which is about a 17-hour drive from where I lived. So I wasn't going to make it. My dad said, well, I'll take care of it for you. Well, I think he tried, but I had to be in court. So three years, maybe four, maybe five years later, I'm 27 years old. I get pulled over for rolling a stop sign. Is that a term? Yeah. Yeah, uh, you don't completely stop. Yeah. And this guy puts me in handcuffs, puts me in the back of his car. For rolling a stop sign. And I said, why are you doing this to me? And he said, you have a warrant out for your arrest. And I said, why? And he said, well, it doesn't tell me that. It only says, and he showed me on his computer that there was a warrant. Yeah. So he treated me like 
he would treat any old scum off the street, a murderer or whatever. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if that's how it works with murderers, if there are warrants, I don't know. But anyway, he treated me like a loser. Yeah. And when I got to the jail cell where they hold people like me, it was people who had stolen money from the tip jar at the titty bar. <laughs> it was people who had fought at the titty bar. Yeah. It was scum of the earth people and people that were passed out with needle marks all in their oh, arms. Yeah. They called me Brad Pitt in jail because yeah. I was the only nothing about being yeah, the normal human being. Yes, in the exactly. I was Caucasian, yeah. so they called me Brad Pitt. They didn't even know my name was Brad. Yeah. Which by the way, <laughs> when I'm at Starbucks here, ninety nine percent of the time they put B R A T T on my cup when I tell them my I, name. Yeah. Brat. Brat. <laughs> so now I tell him, como Brad Pitt, pero más guapo, yo es más guapo, yeah. which means my name is like Brad Pitt, but I'm more handsome. <laughs> and they always get a kick out of that. So now they get my name right. It took me coming up with this trick of everybody awesome. knows who yeah. Brad Pitt is. So. <laughs> but anyway, man, it uh, it surprises me the, the amount of money that you make and if you were a client of mine, we're negotiating because you have a serious skill set that you don't realize you have. I think that yeah. you're, I don't know if you're being humble. Well, I know. But my, I invited you on the, the podcast for a reason. Yeah, my, my cousin Stu, he's, he's like our, the salesman in our family. He actually, like he started the, the place I went for my first like interview. This guy told me, he's like, no, like, you're not going to sell my product. My cousin Stu got hired on the spot. He walked in, he asked for a job. He saw the receptionist and that was it. He was hired. He did some of his own sales. He now owns uh, and sells, um, like he has his own store selling kitchen and bathrooms. And like he does really, really well. My aunts and uncles would be like, damn, like that boy can charm ducks off water. Some are going like a party at the weekend. And I'd be like, hey man, you want to come to this party at the weekend? They're like, "Eh, yeah, maybe, I don't know. The way Stu puts it, and he's like, "Oh, we got this event that's happening, and there's going to be this and that." And he's like, "Like, and you're going to be asking like." And he just gives you all this stuff, and you're like, "Man, like, I got, I've got to go to this damn party." I'm like, I'm, "I don't even care what I'm doing." Like, <laughs> Stu's told me, like, "I'm going," and he he just has this like natural charisma, like charisma and patter that you just like you you just sucked into it. Like, he's, makes you he's so stuff. he's so smooth, yeah. And like we always said to him, he, he did this sales job, like the the basic is not a lot but there's lots of you know like compensation and you know add-ons and stuff if you sell this or sell that i'm like man like you're you're gonna earn a lot of money from doing this he's like he wanted three handsets it's like i sold him 50 and i'm like what and he's like yeah he wanted there's like one for him one for his wife one for his secretary like that was, that was it and he's like i've got it for all his foreman i've got it for like different and I was like, how the hell? And he's like, oh, I just asked him if he wanted to do this and do that. And I'm like, but he, he sits and he talks to you and it's like this smooth and you just can't help but just fall in love with the guy. <laughs> like, people buy from people so they good. like. And yeah, like he, like he owns, he's got a couple of stores now back home. And, you know, I mean, it may only seem like kitchen and bathroom furniture, but these people walk in, you just immediately like, you know, everyone says like, oh, Stuart here. And like he, you know, he's the boss. He, his employees are the kind of the guys, and he's trained them or whatever. You say everyone comes in like, can we speak to Stuart? And they're like, oh, he's pretty busy right now. But he'll just come. From, like he just, he's he's that guy. He just like comes from around a corner. 
you know, he's like, oh, oh, good afternoon, how are you? He's like, oh, I got a couple of cups of coffee. And they just like, people just melt because they want like a new faucet or something for their kitchen. And they go out, they get new cabinets, they've got a new tub. They, they have an extension on, this house, on their house because they want the shower screen that they've seen, but they don't have a shower. So, yep. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's great to have you. And just look at him like, dude. You have so much knowledge that you could use to sell so many different <laughs> things. If I'm you, you're about to enter your peak in earning years. Yeah. 35 to 45, there's no fucking way I would settle for making that much money, especially having to support a, a family of five. Yeah. And you and I should probably talk about investing. Are you investing some of your money now? No, nothing at all. It's, again, like, I'm, I'm from a little town where, like, the it, it's what we will, not myself, but what, this sort of, you know, my dad's, my uncles, my grandparents, all this sort of older generation that they just refer to it as, my dad's always called like Wall Street talk. Cause like New York is such like, it's almost like a fantasy place. Like when you're, when you're in Wellington in England, New York, it, it's almost hard to believe it actually exists. And you hear about all these, these people like, oh, well, I invested in this and blah, blah, blah. And you, you know, you hear all these crazy stories mm-hmm. and my dad just looks at me and he's like, oh yeah, he's like, you're one of them. Are you genius? Like, be real. He's like, you are, dude. he's like, go out, do your eight, nine hours a day, like work hard. He's like, it's, he's like, all you're gonna do is get ripped off by all these snakes. And like, I've, I genuinely have always had that kind of a negative connotation whenever you know people talk about stocks and investments, like all this crypto and stuff. And you're like, mm, like yeah, 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 sure. Like you know, there's some advert you see on social media that's like, oh, I invested a dollar and now I'm a millionaire. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah or like whatever. But, like, it actually happens. Like, It does, but they're rare, and, and I'm with you. I ha- I'm skeptical about yeah. most of the crypto stuff. I don't own any crypto. I had a guy call me yesterday, a client of mine, one of the guys I coach. He was buying a house that was listed for 320 and he told me that his real- realtor told him that they had four offers on the house, and one of them was for 375 so 55000 over nice. list. Yeah. That never happens where a realtor yeah. shares one of the competing offers. Mm. And I said, if she's willing to share that with you, why not send you a screenshot of it? And yeah. I said, if I'm you, I sit down with a piece of paper. I put five minutes of thought into this because this is important. Yeah. And what you're trying to do is figure out the best way to convey to her a willingness to send you that screenshot. So yeah. something like, whoa, you, you get, you're getting a 375 offer. Good for, that is so good for you. So that is yeah. so cool. Wow. Send, I don't, man, that's hard to believe. Send me a screenshot. I'll, I want to help you. I want to help you sell. I can't wait to show that to my wife. And what that might do is get him to get his wife to go up in price which is what I think the realtors are trying to do is get him to come up in price. And so they want to get the seller 380, but the house is listed at 320. Yeah. They've got four offers. Never ever is it shared what one of those offers is. It's like a blind auction. Yeah. Oh, you got a 375 offer. Do you send me, send me a picture of that. Yeah. I'll show show it to my wife. Yeah. They don't have a 375 offer. So you've called their bluff. And so my client says, well, I expect realtors to, you know, sometimes be untruthful. I said, bullshit, bullshit. I said, a realtor should 
so delight you that you're referring them, your friends and family, for the next 40 years of your life. Yeah. If they want to be transactional and make the most money for themselves, this one transaction, and move on to somebody else, they're not going to be in the business very long. People no. see through that shit. Yeah. The cost of acquisition of another client is so high that it is so much easier to say, hey, by the way, if you come across somebody the caliber of yourself that would be interested in the high level of service that I provide, would, do you mind if I gave them a call if they're buying or selling a house? That's how you yeah. generate more business. Yeah, absolutely. So this realtor is going to make, what, on a 360 house, what's 3% of that? 360, 1% is 3,600, 7,200. That's a nice day. It's a nice day. How does that realtor get another one of those days? They delight the customer. And I told my client, the best realtor will talk you out of buying a house if it's not in your best interest. Yeah. That realtor should be treating your money like it's their money. And if they're not, find another realtor. Yeah, 100%. And it's not realtors who are bad. You'll find a bad apple in every profession, whether it's construction, yeah. whether it's insurance, attorneys, doctors. I don't care who it is. Yeah. You find good people, and when you find them, you hold on to them. You build relationships with them. Relationships are everything if you want to go somewhere in this world. Yep. Man, I just want to tell you that you've got that about you, and, <laughs> and I want to see you. I met your family now, so I yep. want to see you providing for them. And I shared some of what I've done to build wealth in my life. It's easy to get yep. rich slow if you're yep. willing to. Yep. Don't buy into these get-rich-quick get, schemes. Getting, getting rich slow is better than not getting rich at all. Yes, and getting rich slow is easy. Yeah. There was a 96-year-old on my podcast two podcasts ago, and I asked him yeah. this question. I said, is it, is it easy to get rich? He said, oh, yeah, absolutely. He's 96. He's had time for money to compound. Yeah. You know, if Warren Buffett had retired at 69 years old, we never would have heard of him no, because of compound interest. Yeah. He didn't buy any technology stocks until he was 85. Yeah. And then he bought Apple stock. <laughs> Almost half his net worth yeah. right now is Apple stock. That was, that was a pretty good decision. That's unbelievable. That was... <laughs> unbelievable. So there are ways to get rich. You have to be open to it. I, I have family... I think it was you we were talking about this. I have family from Louisiana and Mississippi. I was raised in relative obscurity, Thibodeau, Louisiana. Yeah. It's probably smaller than the town you were yeah. brought up in. <laughs> but so many people have written books, and there's so much free stuff out there on YouTube. It's not an abundance of materials that's scarce. We have a scarcity of attention. But if you're willing to focus an hour a day on learning... Have you ever heard of the book Rich Dad Poor Dad? I, I have. I've not read it, but I, I've heard of it. This is this is a, like a recent thing for me, and like I, I said, I'm from a little town full of lots of skeptical men. Yeah. You know, all all of my you know my sort of older peers that you know you look to for they're all small town men that you know kind of will we do what we do in this town whatever whatever it may be. Even any, anything that would that would earn you anywhere from like even even what what I earn upwards, my dad's like, oh, like he's like, you some sort of manager or something now? I'm like, no. And he's like, how the hell are you earning that money? I'm like, well, because my manager's earning 
this that's way more. And he's like, what the? I'm like, how the hell is he doing that? And he's like, well, you know, someone in my position is like a director. And I'm like, well, the directors at my company are billionaires. Like, billion with a B. (laughs) A a lot of people where I'm from, they don't fully believe that billions exist. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They put it in the media and they put it out there and you see it and, you know, you do whatever and you invest. And he's like, it's not them. They're just like a, a face of a franchise. And it's other, well, I don't know. Elon Musk seems to be doing okay. Like, he's certainly a billionaire. And, you know, I can see why Bezos is rich with Amazon. Like, it's perfect. It's just a perfect platform for generating disgusting amounts of money. Yeah. But they, I, I grew up in this little this little area. It's like, well, no, you know, if you get paid $200 for the day, you should be happy with that. Like, you should be proud of that. And I'm like, like man, like, these people are earning like 200000 a day, an awful lot more. And... there's this enormous amount of skepticism that's put on that and they just don't believe they they just don't it's if you tell them like what joe rogan does this he does podcasts and this is what he earns it'd just be like ah whatever like i don't listen to that like no no he doesn't (laughs) and that's that's it like that's end of conversation like no they don't go go back do your eight hours just be proud that you know you're you're busting your ass and you're doing something you're providing for your family. Well, there, there is something to be said for that. There's a lot of dignity in hard work and providing for your family. My objection to it would be there's knowledge out there. Yeah, you're, that, limit, you're limiting yourself. Yes. You're, you're putting your own ceiling in front of you. Absolutely, and you don't realize it. Yeah. But you could do the job that you're doing yet still become a millionaire by following principles that are in books, that are in getting coaches like myself just to teach you what you need. The way I think of a book is like, it's $20. If you've ever written anything, and I have, it takes so long to write a blog post because of the sentence structure and making sure you write it in a way that will people will grasp like you don't want anybody to ever be confused by yeah. what you've written yeah. and so most writing is rewriting yeah. you do your rough draft and then you start editing and it's a bitch everybody yeah. hates writing yeah. but it's primarily so that it's easy on the reader yeah. well being being one of the readers there's i see stuff on social media and you look and it's some someone that's you know offering whatever and i read through and i'm like nope they, they didn't put the S on the end of there. That yeah. doesn't make sense. It, that's like a 60-word sentence. Mm. Like, there's no apostrophes. There's, <laughs> right. Like, the, you know, there's no punctuation yeah. in this at all. I'm like, right. the guy can't even write. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to listen to you. you you're going to make me a millionaire? You can't even write mm. out two paragraphs, like, without punctuation. Like, no. Same here. Or, it, you know, there's, there's w- one word that'll have, like, the I and the E the wrong way around. And right. I, I immediately look and go, like, no, scam. But like you can't even write properly. You're a moron. That stuff stands Which, out to me like, too. Like you said, like making sure that it's written out correctly and it makes sense. And it's you know someone maybe cynical like me that goes, Brad, like, like, like no, like there should there's no <laughs> there's no full stop in there. Like what are you talking about? No, don't believe it. And as much as like there's there's a tiny little part of my brain that kind of spins around the back and goes, but like you might be missing out on a, a serious opportunity there because of a full stop or an apostrophe. 
I understand it, but I disagree. I think that someone who could help you become a millionaire, for example, they don't make those mistakes because of what we talked about earlier. How you do anything is how you do everything. how you do everything, exactly. They wouldn't screw that up. They wouldn't want people reading that. Yeah. The first goal that I set with my clients is to become a millionaire. We do that on the first page of our journals. And people think, oh, setting a millionaire, that'd, that'd be nice. Who wouldn't want to have a million dollars? It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with what you become in the process of becoming a millionaire. What do I mean by that? How you do, ev- how you do anything yeah. is how you do everything. Exactly, yeah. Millionaires are going to serve people. They're going to, you use the... The example of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. How many people have they served? How many people have they employed? How much easier has Jeff Bezos made it for me to get the Propecia that's needed? I I actually don't use Propecia, but (laughs) I use Nioxin. It works really well. But yeah, service to the many. There was an old Zig Ziglar quote. Zig Ziglar was the greatest pots and pans salesman of all time from Yazoo City, Mississippi. And he said, if you will help enough people get what they want, you will have everything you want. And so in the process of becoming a millionaire, you'll become more disciplined. You'll get your fitness in order because you need to maximize your energy. You're going to become a person of integrity. You're going to get your relationships straight because if you're fighting with your wife all the time, then you're not going to be good at work. Hell no. If you're not good at work, you're not going to get good sleep. If you don't get good sleep, you're going to eat like shit. Everything affects everything else. Yep. And I can guarantee you. Do you know what? I think back when, when I was, most of my life is based around hockey, but we, we, had, we had a coach. His name's Paul O'Higgins. Everyone called him Leggy. He was just a, a legend. There was a phrase that he used to use. We did a lot of off-ice stuff and in the gym. And he'd always tell us, train insane or remain the same. Ooh, and we, like we'd sit there. And, you know, we'd be on the treadmill, on the bike, bench, whatever it was, and he'd, he'd just come past you. And, like, he was a super energetic old Canadian guy, and he was the best. And he was, like, train insane or remain the same. And he'd chant it to you, and we'd be doing whatever, and he's like, train insane or remain the same. And you'd be going along. He's like, that's not just for hockey. That's not just for in the gym. It's like, that's for life. Train insane or you remain the same and I'm literally just thinking about it now, and I can see him stood there in his stupid purple tracksuit, horrible shell suit thing. If you happily just accept your job, and it's like, well, I turn up at nine, I'll leave at five, and you're not training insane, and you are remaining the same, and yes. you're not getting anywhere. And you know, like, he wasn't necessarily a, a wealthy man by any means, but all he did every day is he did exactly what he wanted to do. Which, to me, that sounds like a wealthy man. It's the ultimate if, wealth. If you ask me Time wealth. afterwards and you, you get changed and you know, he'd come and give us a little pep talk for our game or whatever it'd be. And he'd always say, he's like, he's like don't forget, train insane or remain the same. That's the same in the gym. It's the same on the ice. That's the same in life. You know, tired, like, yeah, yeah, sure thing, Ledgy. Like, Jesus, can I go home? Like, I'm tired, man. <laughs> but... <laughs> Well, the beauty of that is that he didn't mind repeating it because I I repeat. He definitely didn't remind (laughs) No. I had a coach in college that would talk about the peaks and valleys in life all the time. He says, 
You fight through the valleys. The peaks take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. When you become better, stronger, wiser is when you're in the valley. Yeah. And he would talk about that nonstop to the point where I would tune out. I'm talking about it today, 22 years later. Well, led you. He's all the same. He's like, you're either learning or performing, which is when you're in the valley and you're struggling, you're learning. You're learning through those struggle. And then when you're performing, you're at the top of the valleys taking care of themselves. Everything that you've done is... That's right. Well, and you talked about fruits. You talked about the nine to five. I tell my clients, I say, because a lot of my clients end up quickly. Let's say you're my client. Hypothetically, I'm going to get you to start interviewing because you're going to get more money. So I tell them to incorporate into these interviews things about themselves, whether it's books they've read or quotes they've internalized. Mm. And one of those quotes is, I'm someone who views what I do in addition to what's expected of me as an investment in in my own personal growth, in my career growth, as a contribution to this company. That's just how I'm wired. Who wouldn't hand you a contract, right? I mean, is that not the kind of guy you want? Absolutely. I work hard at my nine to five because it's table stakes. What I do in addition to nine to five, I view that as an investment in my own career, yeah. in my contribution to this company. I want to come work. For, I want to be on your team. Yeah, that's. I remember being probably in my early teens, and you know, I was in the summer working for my dad, and I'd go back to the office. You know, he sat there as you know the owner CEO, and he'd have guys come in, and his one of his one of the things he looks for in you know you get guys come in that are very good very skilled but you know they just lay back and they're like yeah like i want a job and he, he'd always say like he he wants those guys that come in who are willing to go to battle for you you know the guy that doesn't mind staying an hour later because the clients asked can you just tidy this up or you know the guy that doesn't mind being the first guy in the queue at the lumber store first thing on a Saturday morning mm. because, you know, Monday morning something big's happening. It's it's gotta happen Saturday. You know, he and he always says he looks for those guys that are willing to go to war for him. Make sure you're not going to work at a place where if you don't come on <laughs> if you don't come in on Saturday, don't bother coming in on Sunday. <laughs> right. So you're vetting yeah. them too. Yeah. But uh what do you what would you say you struggle with most? I mean, my wife would probably tell you the chores at home. The what? I'm <laughs> the, sorry? The chores at home. Oh, the chores, <laughs> yeah. Does she have an equalism mentality as though everything should be 50-50? Yeah, we got, mm. we got a, pretty awesome, a pretty awesome setup. There's, you know, there's the days when you know, I come home from work and she can tell straight away, it's like, don't worry, dinner's done. Like, what? like go have a shower, go have yourself half an hour. Like we, we got a pretty awesome, mm. a pretty awesome dynamic. The the one thing, like genuinely, like you know, you, you see a lot on social media, see a lot happen. Like I, you know, I see my cousin doing well, and one of one of my best friends was sitting talking. We went to school together. We did like uh, kindergarten, middle school, and high school together, like all the way through. And we went to college together. And I'm like, I feel like there was a day that I wasn't at school where they taught us how to make money. And Isn't I was like, I'm like, I feel, I feel like there's whatever that happened that day that was the day i should have been at school mm. and he's like well like we went to walkerwood and whatever but this this tiny little school but i'm like there's there's something 
that I never got taught. There, there just is. I know there is. Mm. And, you know, I speak to my dad and, like, my dad did okay. He did pretty well. And he's like, hey, you know, he's like, yeah, so just go out and work harder. Mm. I'm like, well, that's, that's all well and good. But, you know, from a, a, you know, a service point of view, like, I need to go and find someone who needs something that is willing to give me that money. And, you know, you see on social media, like, people are like, oh, I, I earn money in my sleep and I do this. And, I, and I'm like, that's, that's a lesson at some point that has totally bypassed me without a shadow of a doubt. And I mean, even my sister's very successful academically and she's an architect now and she's two years older than me. So she's, she'll be 37 in a couple of weeks. And only now is she kind of starting to make architecture money at mm. 37. I think she's seven years at university and, you know, and has, been kind of working towards what she's always been working towards but it's only now at 37 years old that she's starting to see what it is she was working towards actually coming to fruition and like I said like she's 37 and she's now just at that that start of the path that she wants to work on at 37 mm. and I was I'm like there is something that we missed yeah. like we went to the same schools like she was, you know, at the top end of it. So I'm like, it's not even like, you know, I was okay, like sort of middle of the pack or whatever. So you went to college? Yeah, I did. I did college. It's a little different in the UK. You, you finish high school, um, you do two or three years of a college. And then from that point, you go on to university. A, a US college is more of the university side in England. Like everything that you do in high school that covers what I did in secondary school and my two years at college. And then university is what you guys do as college. So yeah, my sister went on and did the university route as well. I've got my thing. I did my two years at college. Like, see you later. And does like, she have a lot of debt? School debt? Yes. Like $100,000 uh, I don't know if it's maybe around that. Like, uh, I'm not totally sure how. Like, I remember doing, to, to go to university, there's the, the UCAS uh, process so like towards the sort of middle of your last year of of college um you set your application you choose your schools and you know like your your tutors and everything kind of like hey like maybe maybe don't apply to go to oxford or cambridge like <laughs> let's let's set our sights a little more realistic right um i mean my sister did de montford which is it's unknown but like it's it's what you'd consider like an ivy league school like it's oh, wow. it's it's a big one it, it's up there with uh you know with oxford and cambridge I was like, yeah, being told like maybe, maybe look more like Wolverhampton, like the local ones. And I was like, yeah, like, I don't know. And my dad's like, you going to trade school? Like, why, why are you kidding yourself? Like, yeah. I've signed you up. The paperwork's off. Like, well, my favorite quote as it pertains to books. Obviously, I'm a big fan of books and how it can change your life. My favorite quote is, the true rewards in life are on the top shelf, and the way that you get to them is by standing on the books you read. In my 20s, had I not read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, had I not read The Richest Man in Babylon, The Millionaire Next Door, any of these books, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah. My education didn't start until I finished college. I didn't learn a goddamn thing in college. The best thing I learned was that marketing class where he had me do a role play for sales. Yeah. I found that helpful. Like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, for example, the premise, and it's been almost 20 years since I read it, but the premise is that 
you want to buy assets that appreciate in value versus liabilities like cars that depreciate in value. So when you do the comparison of $500 a month for a car payment versus $500 a month into a Vanguard fund, the difference is astronomical. Astronomical, and that's how you get wealthy versus becoming one of the masses who is for the rest of your life saying, Oh, that's bullshit, that guy doesn't have money, that's not real. Yeah. No, it's true. And we're not talking about Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, but if you just, as you know, living in Vancouver, you see so many people with money. Yeah. You know how that happens? It's just, it's just time because what? compound interest yeah. is so amazing. I'd literally been there a couple of weeks, I'd started working, I was in one of the towers in downtown Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And there was, there was a guy, he was a, a Chinese guy that came in with his translator and his daughter. He was looking around one of the units and the guy, the guy was, obviously, you know, he was talking in Chinese and talking to his friend, he had a few questions, like amenities you get with the building, there's parking spots, this sort of stuff. And then probably a 10 or 15 minute conversation and then the translator turned around. We were with like one of the sales directors for the construction company who were building that building. And you know, they kind of mediate between the owners and, and all the prospective buyers and the owner of the building. They, they had this conversation. The guy turned around and he said, my boss wants to know how many units are available. And we're in a 52-story 50, building. There's like 12 units per floor. We were probably somewhere around like the 20th floor. And they said, well, everything from here up to the penthouse, the, the penthouses have already been purchased. Turned around and he spoke in Chinese again to, to the gentleman that was there. And he turned back and said, okay, we'll take them. And All these, of them. These are like one, depending on, like the corner units are bigger, they're two bedroom, the rest are all one. The, the cheaper ones were 1.2 million. The corner units were like 2.5 million. He said, okay, we'll take them. And the, the lady's face was a picture. She, she was like, you'll take what? <laughs> I said, we'll, we'll take the units. Yes. And she, she was like, uh, just bear with me a moment. And like, she stepped out and like, I was kind of around in one of the washrooms and she came in. She, he wants them all. He wants to buy all of them. And the guy's like, huh? <laughs> like, he wants to buy all the units. And the guy's like, uh, okay, like, so, you know, as long as he pays, like, like consider them sold. Yeah. And she came back in. She was very professional. She said, yeah, absolutely. No problem. Come with me. We'll sort of paperwork, blah, blah, blah. And he left. And I, I was sort of in there like, like man, like, I can't afford one of these units like in any part of this building. And he, he just came in and just, was just like, yeah, we'll have the lot. Unreal. I remember, I remember going and one of my buddies was working with me and he, he's a, you know, a lifelong carpenter and he, he said he's like, I've got no aspirations to be any more important. He's like, I don't want that kind of hassle in my life. I was just thinking like, man, like I think he said if, him, his wife, his brothers, her, their wives, his parents, her parents, her family. Like, it's like, if all of us got together, we could probably scrape together a down payment for this unit, this one that we're stood in. This guy's just rolled in and bought the building. I've learned since, I think the pronunciation might be incorrect. I think it's Mr. Lang. He's apparently he's quite famous in Vancouver. The reason he wanted those units in that building is because he owns all the rest of the buildings on the block, <laughs> and he he didn't want a building on his block being owned by somebody else. He's playing Monopoly. Like, yeah, he, he's he's a real life Mister Monopoly in Vancouver. It's like one of the hottest real estate markets on the whole planet. Wow. Just like it's one of those moments where I, I sat there and like, 
I, I should probably be doing something more mm. than just lugging this little box of tools around with me. And I was well, like, holy. I love that you don't get disgruntled, that you take inspiration from that. Well, because yeah, I, you know who's worse about that are Brits. Oh, yeah. Brits, from what I understand, I, you start driving yeah. a Rolls Royce, you're getting that sucker key. Yep. hundred I, I mean, I don't want to say I had a nice car. I had a Fiat Doblo. Have you ever heard of it? Mm-hmm. It's like a minivan, small mm-hmm. minivan with big windows. And where where we lived, the first house that my wife and I bought, a place called Malins Lee. It's not most of the houses are like what we call ex council. It's you know like social housing. Mm-hmm. And you know it was our first house, so you know we didn't want to jump into anything too big. So we you know you can buy them privately. So we bought one of those, and I had a, a Fiat Doblo that I bought secondhand from my father-in-law. He was looking to trade it in and stuff, and he said, he's like, well, give me this trade price. If you offer me the same, I'll take the money. It works out the same for me. I'm not losing. You're getting a new car. So, yeah, okay, perfect. And I got this thing. It's probably you know, like four years old, so you know, it's, it's not brand new. It's got some miles on it. It's, a, it's an ugly van. But some of my neighbors who were still the social housing tenants, I came out one morning to go to work, it was dark. I jumped in, started up, went to roll back, and like immediately I was like, "Oh, oh, like there's something's going on. Like it's not." And I jumped out, and all four of my tires had been slashed. Oh my god! And I was like, "Oh!" And by the time the guy had come to the house, and you know they did it, it's like you know like two p.m. or whatever. And like the days are right off. Like whatever, lost a day at work. Fine, I'll go tomorrow. And then the like because these people in social housing they don't have a job at the house gets paid from they get paid money to go and buy groceries and stuff so like they they don't do anything so she, this I, as i found out it was this lady and her husband and their son was probably 20 something early 20s they've been at home all day and they'd watch this guy come like they'd seen me in the morning try to leave and like laughed because they slashed my tires and then they seen the guy come and i you know i've paid whatever extortionate fee because you know the guys had to come to my house with the tires and whatever wake up come out the next morning whole windshield just shattered all oh in the my. front seats and, and you attribute like, this to I was just like, british resentment I was like, of are you, success are you kidding me well like i said like my doblo was it's not an it's an ugly old it's an ugly car like it's gross but it was a nice it was fairly new at the time i got a great deal with my father-in-law like it was perfect for us it's big space all the kids fit in it like it was awesome like it's ugly, but it works for us great. But it was so much newer than anything else in the neighborhood. Like there's there's a lot of the neighbors that didn't have cars. They don't they don't have them because their their social money doesn't cover enough to purchase one, to hire one, rent one. They just don't have it. So me getting you know what was a fairly new car, were, there was a that's not happening in our neighborhood. He ain't having that. When we left. Um, we, we had a for sale sign in the front of the house and uh, there, was, there was a couple of friends of my wife's that were like, oh, like, I, I spotted this. And one of our neighbors had taken a picture of it and uh, they put someone like, oh, look, the, uh, the Bezos family are moving out. I'm far, far and away yeah. from Jeff Bezos. But from their standpoint, they looked at us and it was like, well, you know, they, it's their house. Like they bought it. They're paying a mortgage on it. And I go, no, now they're selling it and moving on to somewhere better. And we, we had graffiti that was put on the sign. I remember hiring like a, like a big garbage bin thing. We were just clearing the house out and we went to put stuff in there. And I had it the, delivered like maybe five o'clock. And we came back that night and this, this big garbage bin was just full, full of any old random stuff. My wife's moving stuff and there was stuff that was 
being shipped to Canada. There was stuff that you know, I was giving to some friends or my parents. And then there's the other stuff that's going in the garbage. And I remember walking out and we had some stuff and I go to chuck it in and there's like my neighbors chucking some stuff in and then this guy's chucking some stuff in and I, there's like a guy from down the street like two blocks away is coming. And they're like, oh, Richie, Richie has got, you know, he can afford to have a garbage bin. So he's like, I might as well use it. But, and like the, the mentality that, that these people have in that area, you look at, you know, wanting to better ourselves and, you know, I mean, in any part of today's climate, you, you need to be earning more and everything's just getting more expensive. These people don't, that isn't, that doesn't register in their minds one iota, not even on the side. They just, they, they're in, they do what they do. They get given what they get given by the government and that's where they work from. And anyone that's, you know, a little more than that, you're just a target. Have you ever heard of Theodore Dalrymple? No. He's an author, British yeah. author. My favorite British author. Yeah. Well, maybe other than Douglas Murray or Charles Murray. I get him confused all the uh, time. Charles, I think. Charles yeah. Murray. He wrote a book called Life at the Bottom. Yeah. And he worked in a hospital for the underclass and saw the worst of British society. And it's, it's so well-written. It's one of the better books that I've ever read. I recommend it to a lot of people. It's called Life at the Bottom. It illustrates the fact that the color of your skin means nothing, that the nope. underclass in America, which may be Appalachia or black, yeah. and the underclass in Britain, which is primarily white, there's no difference. Yeah. It's cultural. Yep. That's the problem. And it's the sort of mindset that you talk about, which is why mindset is so important. It really is. It really is. There's my, my wife has friends from, you know, kids back home that she went to school with. They all had the same education with, you know, literally in the same educational center with exactly the same teachers, exactly the same material. But their mindset, you know, when they go home and they've got their parents, it's a case of the more children you have, the more... Uh, child support money you receive and my wife has friends that have got four five six kids purely for that reason and you get given a free house and you know you get given so much money for each dependent child that you have that's under 18 years of age married Um, or not married uh, usually not married usually different fathers that's irrelevant (laughs) so long as there's the child you earn the money it doesn't matter if they're all related directly with the same parents it causes other like social issues in those particular areas and I know I grew up my dad did quite well we lived in a nice area and we had our own my granddad built the house that my dad bought so we did we did okay and the the people in those areas it's still I mean I don't think race really matters we had black neighbors Chinese Chinese neighbors are amazing I absolutely love those guys and we had East Indian neighbors there was there was a couple from the Czechoslovakia there was a couple from Russia so it didn't really matter too much but when you go and you go to the sort of you know these social housing areas there, there's a whole different mindset on on life like right from the beginning and you know my wife said she went to to school with with girls and they didn't finish high school because at like 15 they got pregnant but their parents saw that as a triumph it's like perfect we've got a grandchild so she's going to get the child support income and because the daughter is still living with mom, still living with now grandma. 
grandma gets more money because there's a grandchild in the house as well. That kind of mentality were like, I mean, it blew, I was like, our house was nice. We, the moment I stepped from my front door, I was home. You know, some people like, you get into your neighborhood and you know, like, oh, you see Bob's lawn or you're like, oh, like fine. Like I'm away from work. I'm back home. I didn't get home until I stepped through my front door and prototypical you see it in like these American movies like you move into a new house and Bob and Marge come from next door and a freshly baked apple pie welcome you to the neighborhood that was Sue and her husband they were just amazing but right next door to them was the family that slashed my tires and smashed my windshield because I had the nicest car in the neighborhood well let me ask you this and <laughs> you and I are staying in the same place yes, sir. on this vacation you had to purchase four plane tickets presumably right Five? Five. So you have... I thought your youngest was less than he, two. No, no, he's five. Oh, I'm sorry. So I we, we looked into that because we were like, oh, you know, like we might be able to save some money. That was a, that was a hard no from, <laughs> from WestJet. Why did you choose here? Uh, my wife. Oh, your she, wife. Okay. We, we just wanted somewhere warm, somewhere yes. hot. Okay. Admittedly, like most of our friends back home, they were like, oh, if you go to Mexico, you have to go to the Baja Peninsula. And I'm like, uh, know, you have to show me that on Google Maps. And they're like, West Coast. Like, always go to the West Coast. And I was like, oh, I don't know, we've been looking at this stuff on the East Coast. And, you know, there's the island of Cozumel. has got great uh, reviews and whatever. And everyone's like, you have to go to the West Coast. And I spoke to my wife, and she's like, no, we are going where I want to go. I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, I don't have a problem with that. Like, yeah. sweet, <laughs> whatever. So of all the places I've been, I've been to about 60 countries. The one place that I have been ripped off the most is here, believe it or not. So I don't know if I told you this the other day, but count your change. If you're frugal yeah. like I am, I'll go to the grocery store. It'll be 655 pesos, which doing the conversion is $35. Yeah. They'll give you back like 40 pesos and 300 so you give them two 500 dollar peso bills they'll short you five pesos which is about a quarter in u.s yeah but they're skimming a quarter off the top of every gringo yeah and if i have a pet peeve i got a few pet peeves but i don't like to see people being cheated out of their hard-earned money well i i got a lot more than than just a you know a quarter or whatever when i was on cozumel when we got we were driving, we hired a car, it was a total gong show to start with, and it was this rust bucket old thing with no seat belts, and I was like, eh. Um, but we were driving the east coast of the island, and just trying to find a nice little beach. How much to rent this car? Uh, I think we paid three, 300 and something pesos. Per day? Yeah, well, for the one day, we were only there for the okay. day. Okay, so that's 15 so, U.S. dollars, yeah. one five. And I was like, we were like, I'll take that. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty good going. But we, we drove past, we went past this little spot. We were looking for some beaches, and we saw a, a nice little spot. We drove past, and I'm like, oh, okay. So we just kind of swung the car around. And like, I had to wait. There was a car coming the other way, so we ended up behind it. And then there was uh, two police officers that came, and they saw us driving the other way, came behind me, lights on, pulled me over. You nervous at this point? A little bit. I was yeah, like, I well, I just been. thought, I mean, we'd, we, I'd had a terrible ferry crossing. I felt sick as a dog. And then the whole point was we were going to swim with dolphins. And when we got there, they said they were closed. And I was like, like you know, it's like 3 o'clock on a Saturday. Like, 
what do you mean you're closed? Yeah. And they're like, that's it. Like, you know, we're, we're not doing it anymore. So like we missed out on the actual, you know, the whole purpose of going to Cozumel was to do this thing and the kids were going to swim with dolphins. So we missed that. I was pretty cheesed off with and like getting the rental car. We stood in this queue for a few hours, like just, just waiting to get it. And then it, like, it was a total nightmare. And you I negotiated get, all get, yeah, for yeah, the well, car? The, the, the guy was saying he, we had a, we booked it on the mainland before we went over. There's the like travel guides or whatever that are at the ferry port. Sure. And then there's and a he's ferry. Like, he's just, like, he's for like, listeners, it's about a 45 yeah, yeah. minute trek across a fer- uh, on a ferry to Cozumel. Yeah. And he was like, well, they'll want to charge you. They're like, they'll charge you this, but then you'll have to pay like the extra insurance on top. And you know, there's a, there's a down payment fee and there's a whatever fee. And there's a, it's because you're a tourist fee. And he's like, we don't charge you any of that. And I was like, yeah, okay. So paid him the money. He gave us this little ticket stub thing for us to go, you know, and take to the dealership world, you know, the car hire when we get there. And I said, like, we'd already paid it. And I gave this to her. And she's like, oh, you need to pay for this. I'm like, oh, insurance already covered. It says it right there. And you can see she was like, oh. It's like, it's all written in Spanish. But, you know, I'm like, just a quick Google translate. I'm like, oh, okay. So, yeah, that means that. We've, you know, kind of did a little bit of something to help myself. And she was like, whatever. We get this, there's people coming around, there's like, this, we hired this Jeep Wrangler, and there's one that comes around, this beautiful red one, this family jump into that, there's another one that comes behind, this beautiful green one, and, but I'd seen them in the thing, and the guy's just like, here's my credit card, like, and she was, you could see this lady's eyes lit up, like, oh, perfect, she types in whatever fee she wanted, quick tap, hands it back to him, he's very thankful, she's laughing, because, you know, she just ripped him off. Yeah. But I was, I'm like, hey, no, 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 no. I'm kind of like pointing out the fine print that I'd already mm-hmm. agreed to. So cute, the red one, beautiful red Jeep Wrangler comes by, family jump into it. The first one was like, a, uh, was a German family, second was an American family, and then there's me that didn't get ripped off in the dealership, yeah. and this guy comes around with this like Beverly Hillbillies looking thing, <laughs> and I was like, right mm. and the guy jumps out of it and he's like mr james mr james i'm like yeah like obviously that one's ours <laughs> like perfect <laughs> and like he throws me this key um this, i think it said datsun or or like daewoo or something i'm like it's not even a key for a jeep like <laughs> what, like it's not a chrysler it's not a dodge like i i know how they're affiliated I'm like this is like mm. it's like a completely different vehicle like what the heck is this and like it's rusted, and I'm like, oh my god! And I was like, I go to open the the trunks. We're like, you know, we got the stroller for Dylan for when he gets tired. And the guy, he's like, oh no 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 no! I'm like, I'm like, oh, I think it's to go unlock it or something. He's like, you can't use the trunk. I was like, oh, like holding the stroller. Like, what do I do with this stroller? And like all the three kids had jumped in. My wife had jumped in, and he just like throws it between the big two. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like. Sure thing, buddy. Like whatever, go and jump in it, and like it's like the the one side of the floor and the passenger side. Just you can just see the road. It's just rotted out. It's just a hole in the floor. Oh my God. And I look back. I'm like, put your seatbelts on, kids. And uh, my oldest, Elliot's like, what what seatbelts? And I was like, oh. I'm like, well, I'll put, go to put mine on and go to pull it, and it just comes off. And I'm like, oh, that was just hooked on there. It's just oh. just for looks. I'm like. Look over at my wife, and she's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so then you get pulled over? So we go. We, but you we, don't know well, what's we went, in the trunk? Well, it's, it won't open. 
They won't let you in the they, trunk, they they and you're, you're getting pulled over by Mexican police. Yes, yeah. so we're, we're driving up, and we're trying to look for this little beach. And, like, you know, it's a two-way road. There's, we're going one way behind a car. There's cars coming past us the other way. Yeah. And my wife's like, oh, there, there, there. Like, obviously, we miss it, so I'm just like, you know, there's no one around. Just swing a little U-turn, start coming back the other way. And then these two police officers that, like, they came around the corner, so they didn't see me do this U-turn. But they lights all ablaze and stuff. This guy's like pointing at me. So I'm like, all right, okay, like sure. So just pull over. And I I looked over and I'm like, you know, felt sick from the ferry. We, you know, kind of tried, or they tried to screw us over at the dealership. We missed out. We missed out on the dolphins because we were, you know, like five minutes late or whatever. So I'm not in a great mood. And I just looked over and I'm like, yeah, perfect. Like, and the guy comes, he's licensed registration. So I just being the decent human being that I am, uh, you know, a law, you know, officer or whatever asked me. So I'm like, hand in my license, get the bit of paperwork from the the rental place, hand him to that. He immediately, hand, like he looks at my license, you know, it says um, the District of British Columbia, blah, blah, blah. It's all my details on it. And he hands it straight over to his colleague on this other bike who doesn't even, doesn't even look at it, just straight in his top pocket. And I was like, okay, this is bad. That's going to cost me to like to get it back like a thousand percent. Like, this is, and he's like, he's you're start, a thousand, yeah. yeah he starts yeah. talking to me in Spanish, and I'm like, oh, uh, sorry, senor, no hablo español, like you know, in English, hablo inglés. And he's like, he looks at me and he, he said, um, he's like, you can't go this, he's like, no, this way, he's like, sign there, like, there's no sign. Like we didn't, we, we were probably, we, we've drove, I don't know, like 500 yards from where we've turned around. Like there's, there is no sign. He's like, no, this way. And I'm like, I, I saw cars. Like we came past him. We've been driving this road all the way from the town. Like there's, there's cars been coming this way. And he's like, no, no, not, not here. And I'm like, oh, great. And his, his buddy who's got my license in his pocket jumps on his bike and starts it. And I'm like, hey. And he, he looks at me and he says something in Spanish to his friend. They talk back and forth a little bit. And he, he says, he's like, no, no, inglés, señor. Or I want my license. Or, you know. And he's like, he's like, police station. And he's like, him? Police station. I'm like, no, no, no. My driving license. And they go over and they have a little conversation. The guy comes back and he says, he says, uh, 2,000 pesos. And I looked at my wife. And That's like, $100. She was like, she's like rolling her eyes like, yeah, of course it is. Do you know what? Like, I've had a terrible day today. He can see you've like, got three kids in the right, back. This thing is, it's open top. Like, you know, and I mean, Dylan, Dylan's holding on to my, like my youngest son's holding on to my oldest son. I was like, I don't have 2,000 pesos. And he's like, he's like, when is your ferry? I'm like, my ferry's leaving in like 20 minutes. I'm, I'm going to the ferry. And he's like, he looks at his and this. This guy says he, uh, he said something at Sanko, and I'm like, oh, Sanko is fives. I'm like, oh, like here we go. And in the end, I, I gave him 1,500 pesos, and he's like looking at it like, <laughs> like he's, he's not sure it's enough, and he wanted some more. Uh, I'm just like, you know, and like luckily, all the rest of the money, like my wife's pretty careful with it. She's put it like in a bag that's, or in her purse that's in a bag that's in our backpack. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, and I'm like holding my wallet open to him, like, you know, no peso, no senor. Yeah. I'm like, we like we go there and then we fly home, and he's like, oh. 
like great you know we pull over the one white family <laughs> you know he's expecting us you know with some rich american yeah. canadian british family or whatever and he's like oh great i pulled over the one family that are leaving and got no money left and he he's like holding this money and he just folds it up puts it in his pocket and say, he's like okay I'm where's like, my driver's I'm like, license my my driving license yeah it's like i need my license and my wife in just kind of in panic mode because you know these two dudes just like you know stiff arming us sure and she's like that's gonna cost us like you know like a thousand dollars canadian if if you lose it like you need to tell them why you've lost it and say oh i got pulled over in mexico and i didn't have the money to yes. then like you, you know, she starts he, taking photos she's, at this she's point. like she's like you know, it's gonna cost us like a few thousand dollars which obviously this guy hears and i'm like i'd, I'd like I'd hold my wallet open and I'm like i don't have it and i mean i guess luckily he kind of looks back in the car and you know the kids are all like evie's like holding, holding like got death grip on the yeah. seats because you know she's got did no you seat take belts. photos as we this we happened? didn't this no. guy is like like my phone's in my pocket i got like yeah like, last like, thing you want to do is like, go for your pocket yeah and i'm yeah. like and he there was a one like the first part of the exchange like he's got like you know like a police like body you know like vest thing on the first thing he does, he like unclips the bottom and like kind of opens it so that I can see he, you know, he's got a handgun on his hip. Luckily, my wife put the rest of my money in the bag because I'm just like flapping my empty wallet out. I think I got like two, uh, two single US dollars in there. And you know, you can see he's kind of peering, like looking. I'm like, give him you know, two bucks, like whatever. Like, it means nothing to me. Like, you can have the two US if you want. So you gave him 1,500 so, pesos so like, plus $2. Plus $2. So you got away for about $77. And, uh, What'd you do wrong? Apparently, going we, the wrong were, way? we were driving the wrong way on a road. Okay. But I'm like, oh, I've been driving this road the whole time and this car. Yeah, following uh, all the other cars. And yeah. like we, he left, like he gave him my license back. He, he wasn't going to, the guy jumped on his bike and I'm like, hey, hey, yeah, yeah. like my, my license, yeah. you know, he's probably like eight feet away and he just kind of like flicks it like at me. Cigarette. But I was like, I was like, whatever, it, it's hit me, it's in the car somewhere, like I have it back. Yeah. He walks over and he's, like, he's got this money and him and his buddy are like just kind of divvying it up between them. Yeah. And then they jump on, jump on the bikes and they, they carry on the way that I was going that apparently you're not allowed to drive that way. And I was like, yeah, of course you guys can go that way now. Like, that's fine. It's like 10 feet in front of us. We, we pull in there and we jump out and we getting the kids out, you know, like beach bag or whatever. And in the time that we pulled in, that we got the kids out, got the beach bag out. There's like five cars that have gone past going exactly the same way that I was going. I sat there with my wife at the Dolphins. So that's, that's not happening now. I'm like, any cash we just had has just disappeared. I looked at my wife. She went, we're going home. And I was like, yeah, come on, let's get And by home, you meant back to the mainland, Playa del Carmen. And yeah. I was like, yeah. And the kids were in the water. We dried them off. We jumped in the car. We took that back. There was police officers at the uh, the car rental place. The police officer was looking at something. He was like taking pictures of the front of the car. Well, I need to speak to these people and just let them know. Maybe try and get some of my money back. And there's there's police officers that were at the the rental place, and immediately one goes at the front, takes a picture of the front. One goes to the back, starts taking pictures of the back. Get the kids out. Get the bags out. Like, let's go. Like this looks like it's going to cost me even more money. Mm. Like, let's just leave. Like, oh, man. I haven't spent a lot of time in Cozumel, so I don't have any stories like that. However, you've heard me say this already. Of the 60 countries I've been to, this is the one where you're ripped off the most. Yeah. 
nobody bitches about it more than me because yeah. it's basically every single day. Yeah. And it's regardless of what I buy. I will say Starbucks is probably the best place where you will get the correct change, but they will try to skim yeah. some off the top and they know it's not worth your time to go turn the receipt into the manager. And, yeah. but I'll, I'll share this story. I, I've never shared before when my wife and I got married here, we hired wedding coordinators. I want to say they were three fifty each. It was something incredibly inexpensive mm relative to the other wedding coordinators that we were looking at. Yeah. They must have had decent reviews, I don't know, because she's done all the research. And the wedding cost us nearly $20,000, which I think the average cost of a wedding at that time was $27,000. We weren't expecting (laughs) rain, and it was an outdoor wedding at this beautiful home, and my wife... It, it devastated my wife. And the guy who owned this this beautiful mansion that hosted us said that should we want to come back for our 10-year anniversary, that we could stay in the home, we could invite friends. So oh, awesome. those of you listening, you included, you're invited. It's going to be a bash because yeah. we're going to go hard because <laughs> we feel like we got effed, yeah, right? Yeah, 100%. Well, the coordinators send us an email it must have been within 24 hours of the wedding being over. We get an email from one of the, the coordinators that says that one of the tables and chairs got wet. And so we needed to pay $2,000 U.S. How wet did these things get? I don't know, but was it our responsibility to to make sure that each table and chair was removed when the rain came? They were trying to extort us. 100%. You don't know what they're going to come at you with, but I'm like, let's move our our flight up to get on with our honeymoon sooner. Because what happened was we had a friend, Ashley Pressgrove, if you're listening, thank you so much, who donated their timeshare to us. So we had a couple of nights to stay. It's coming back to me now. We had a few nights in Mexico, but a lot of the time that was spent the next two days, our first two days of marriage, was dealing with this email exchange back and forth. And what do you know? I told her that my attorney was at the wedding and so I'm going to have him review the documents. You know what yeah. she says to me? And this is after four days of exchange and my wife being miserable on the honeymoon. Yeah, no kidding. And by the way, wedding destroyed because yeah. of the rain. And this coordinator says to me, oh, no, don't worry about it. If you don't want to pay it, you, you just don't pay it. you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> you put my wife through this? I was so mad. I was, yeah, I no was spitting nails that day. Yeah. I love this place. We've been here 19 times. But what my wife tries to emphasize is don't let this touristic area too heavily influence your perception of Mexico. Yeah. Because this is the Yucatan Peninsula. It's all tourism. All the islands that are available to us. Cozumel and Playa del Carmen, Tulum, Aquamal, 
Es la mujeres. Beautiful. Don't get jaded. Uh, we have been to San Miguel de Allende. We have been to Oaxaca. Her family is from Saltillo, which is near Monterrey. I can't roll my that yeah, many yeah. R's when I haven't had a <laughs> glass of water, but Monterrey. Yeah. Some of the most nice, genuine people you'll meet. Oh, 100%. In- the, re- the rest of our trip has been unbelievable. I'm so glad to hear my, that. My wife booked, so all of, all of our like, travel from our hotel, we did the ex- Excaret Park down there. and Chichen Itza? Um, we haven't, that's part, that's... Need to do that. Yeah. yeah. The transfers to and from uh, the airport and stuff. Even, like, uh, getting to Cozumel was all pre-booked. The nicest people mm. that we have dealt with. Like, when we, we hired, because we said, like, you know, there's five of us, so we'd rather not be sort of crammed in a little car. we get, like, you know, a, a sort of, not an SUV, like a minivan thing. When we turned up, there's a guy there, he's waiting for us, our name on a board. And the people at the hotel would have just been awesome. Like, have no, it's just the, the, our one little trip out to Cozumel was just a little bit of a, a little bit of a blot on it, but. Well, I love to hear we'll, that. We'll, but, uh, yeah. my wife and I said, like, we'll come back here. Like, it is just beautiful. There's, you know, there's some of the tourist traps that you kind of see, but yeah. I get it, you know, if, if, I was in a spot and, a, you know, a bunch of extremely rich people are coming past me. Well, I try and get some of their money. Like, yeah, like it's just human nature. Your wife made a great point the other day that there are a lot of places you'll go in this world, like Prague, for example, where you'll see mm-hmm. a man who is able-bodied on his knees as if he's praying. But instead of praying, he's got his hat in yep. front of his head and he's yep. just asking for money. Whereas here, a lot of times... You'll see a woman with a small child who has a bunch of trinkets that she's made, handmade herself. Hand, handmade them, yeah. And your wife said, I'll give them money and, and not take the trinket. And I don't know if that's yeah. offensive to them that you don't want the trinket. But the fact that they're willing to work for it, yeah. hell, that's the people you're willing yeah. to give money Absolutely. to. Well, the, I, I said there's a story. Like, I worked in downtown Vancouver. There's, there's you know, a, a big homeless population there. And I remember I went, I, I was leaving work. I went, went to grab a sandwich from a Tim Hortons. They gave me the wrong one. And I was like, oh man. And they, they apologized. They gave me an, the one that I wanted. And they said, I'll keep both of them. And I was, I was walking out. It was, you know, what, probably end of January, February. It's like, it's pretty cold. Like, I don't think it was snowing, but like, it's raining. It's pretty bad. And there's, there's a guy there that's kind of got his hands out. And, you know, I got this spare hot beef sandwich like freshly made in my hand so i lean I'm like hey buddy give it to him and uh like just carry on walking thinking to myself like yeah cool i did a good thing today like yeah i know whether it matters or not that guy's gonna get a hot meal before i could even start thinking this that sandwich hits me in the back of the head and i was i uh, kind of turned around to look at the guy and you know he's swearing he's like i don't want your goddamn sandwich and i was just like give me crack or give me uh, nothing pretty much you kidding me we see these ladies and you know they got their stuff and quite rightly my my wife will give them the money for give them like 20 pesos like there's an ado bus where you pay about 12 dollars a ticket and you're you're taking a high class bus with air conditioning it's got the tvs that come down 
So that's pretty good. Yeah, it's a nice It's place. an hour drive, $12 a ticket. So I usually take that. When I'm headed to the airport and my flight is at 8 a.m., I don't want to have to take my luggage to the ADO station. So I will, this is going to make me sound highfalutin, but pay for a taxi to the airport. And that costs me three times as much if I'm lucky. Yeah. $35. Well, it's happened to me before where I have agreed with a gal who I have dealt with in the past. So I have like five taxi drivers in my phone, yeah. in my WhatsApp, because I've, I've been here so many times. Yeah. And sadly, this reminds me of a woman that used to clean my home in Houston who stole from me after I had her for a year and a half. But this woman, we agreed to $35 via text message. She drops me off at the airport and says $45. And I said, no, we agreed to $35. She calls the nearest cop over to tell him that she charged, we agreed to $45. I showed him the text message that said, no, look, we yeah. agreed to $35. Yeah. Would you believe that the cop took her side? Probably because she's Mexican. Yeah. So it's not about fairness. Nope. It's you have something I don't. I feel entitled to it. Give it to me. Yeah, I give mean, it I, to me. It disgusted me. And, and she had met my wife. She had met my daughter. So I was beside myself. However, there are things that I will get done here. I mean, I've got so many stories because I've been here so many times. But... My guy who cuts my hair, it's 80 pesos. That's $4. Yeah. You know what it costs to get a haircut? Yeah. yeah. In Vancouver, I'm, I'm sure it's I'm like paying, $25, $30, right? I'm, I'm paying like $45, $50 oh my for God. just a standard gents cut. So I would highly encourage you to go to my buddy around the yeah. corner, right in front of Mega, get you an 80 pesos haircut. He has eight kids. Oh. Eight. So the last time I was you there. You need to spend more time cutting hair. <laughs> The last time I was there, he put this stuff in my hair that, that thickened it up. I mean, I had hair oh, yeah. like meteorologists. <laughs> like, you know, they get the stipend to, to, yeah. to get the hair transplant. And I said, let me buy that bottle from you. And he said, oh, I get it at Mega, which is across the street. Yeah. I said, how much? And he said, it cost me $4, four U.S. dollars. I said, okay, I'll give you five. And it only had like a quarter of it left. Yeah. So... I'm supporting his family. I, of course, give him a $100 tip, which I'm usually opposed to, by the way. So you go to Thailand. They, they give you a full spread. It's $4.32. They're so sincere in their thanks that you want to give them a 100% tip. But what ends up happening is you jack up the price for everyone. Yeah. So people won't be able to retire in Mexico if you're giving 35% tips all the time. And the human nature dictates that they will start to expect 35% yeah, tips. And if they're helping Europeans, they're not helping them because yeah. they don't have a tipping culture. Nope. My wife went and got a haircut today because it's a third of the price. Yeah. I'm going to get a haircut today before I leave. I got a haircut the second day I got here. <laughs> this mullet's going to be looking <laughs> like better than Joe Dierte, if you know what I'm talking about. So love the place. It's got its downsides, but the upside far outweighs the downside and i keep 100%. a little app on my phone that counts my steps yep i do the same thing i walk like fifteen thousand steps a day when i'm here oh buddy i'm i think i'm like 22 
Hey, don't, <laughs> don't try to one-up me. No, but, no. I just can't get enough of it. Yeah, there's a story. So you, you told a story of giving. I'm going to tell a quick one. I was in New Orleans at Papa John's, and my wife and I insist on the pepperonis going underneath the cheese. It's our thing. I introduced yeah. her to it, and she ordered at work for her friend, for her colleagues one day, pizza from Papa John's. And I said when she got home that night, hey, did, did you ask for the pizza, for the pepperonis underneath the cheese? And she said, I did. <laughs> and, of course, that made my day, right? Yeah. That made me smile. So that's our <laughs> thing. I show up. This is in New Orleans. I think uh, right by Tulane's baseball stadium. I hate Tulane's. Tulane's Baseball Stadium, but that's a different <laughs> podcast. If you want to hear that episode, listen to uh, the one with G. Cassard. You'll hear that story. But the pepperoni wasn't underneath the cheese when I picked it up. And so, Uh-oh. yeah, I said, uh, I, can't, I can't take this home to my wife. She won't be happy. And he said, let me make you another one. I said, fair enough. And he left the one with the pepperonis on top of the cheese just kind of sitting there. So he comes back with the pepperonis underneath the cheese. He doesn't ask me to pay for it. And I've got two pizzas here. So I put them in my uh, passenger seat. I'm on my way home, and there's this guy at Walgreens who's got five teeth total. And he's sitting there on the curb, and he just looks hungry. And I don't know if he's on drugs. He doesn't appear to be on drugs. He, He actually looked like he had a hard day's work but he didn't have a car anywhere around. Walgreens was closed. This is during COVID. So I handed him two pieces of pizza, and I watched him to see what he was going to do. And he walked about 100 feet to the other side of the Walgreens parking lot and gave one of the pieces to his buddy. Oh, yeah. come on. So I took the whole pizza, and I said, here you guys go. And they were overjoyed. You know, that I had made their day. It was so cool. My wife does that a lot. (laughs) And I'm just amazed and just absolutely in awe of her. My kids are in the back and like the oldest ones, Elliot sat there and he he says, he's like, you "You two are really good people. And we're like, like, no, right now, dude, like I'm having a breakdown. Like I'm crying. (laughs) I'm like, I can't, I can't be dealing with you giving me this, this awesome feedback. Like it's grateful and stuff. And my, my daughter Evie, she leans forward and she's like, I want to be just like you guys when you're older. Seeing the, the legit, genuine, like, thanks and grace from a guy that has absolutely nothing at all. And you're just like... Pff. Well, I, how wonderful yeah. that you continue to give and the ripple effect that it had on your kids, which will have a ripple effect on their kids, but friends yeah. and... Yeah, it's amazing what a small gift of even $20 can do. It reminds me, and this this is somewhat related, but there's a contractor that I use that was showing up to my in-laws at 10 a.m. on a Friday. So my in-laws had to take off of work that day so that they could meet him. He was going to build a deck for them, and he didn't show up. And I, I, I think hmm. he apologized profusely and everything, and that's wonderful. 32-year-old me would have said, F that guy, I'm never using him again. But I've continued to use him and probably 12 times, and he's reasonably priced. He's been punctual ever since, probably yeah. because he felt bad yeah. 
So I'm glad I gave him another chance. So sometimes you got to swallow your pride, not be as tough guy. Being being a guy in the trade, like I I hear all these stories of nightmare customers and, but like I've worked with a lot of tradespeople and there's the vast majority of that I look at and I think I would never have you come anywhere near my home and I would (laughs) never, don't get me wrong, like I've, I've met some absolute nightmare customers as well. People who just kind of want, want, want. And then when it comes time to pay, it's all, well, you didn't and that didn't and this wasn't and that. I've seen both sides of it. But the lessons from my grandfather and, and from my own dad, who have both been in the trade, my dad's words were, you need to commit to this like wholly, like you commit to your job. If you want to do this, if you want to be successful, you got to commit to it. So when you get the phone call and you know mr whoever wants to meet you at 7 a.m saturday morning like you're there 7 a.m saturday morning and it's like you don't want to be there you'd rather wait for late in the day or do it on the friday afternoon but your reputation is on the line for that and if you want him to say good stuff about you then there's just go the extra mile if you've said i'm gonna come and meet you at this time at this day then you're there which makes you more and more rare because it's becoming less and less so. And I don't know if it's the emasculation of men where we don't keep our word Mm. as we did from the the greatest generation, which of course you were not a man. And I, I tweeted one time, if you're a man who doesn't keep his word, you need to find something else to call yourself. Yep. My, my, both my dad, both my grandfathers, they, they'd always tell me your word is your bond. If, you, Absolutely. if you've told someone something, you do it. That, well, you follow through. And if, if you don't like that, then that's a process where you are learning where the next time you have that interaction, you need to revert back to this moment where you maybe didn't make the right decision and you, you learn from that and then you move forward in a, in better stead and you, it's that you know someone said like me in construction someone says can you start on monday and i say yes absolutely i can but then i haven't like you don't even think about my schedule i don't look and i'm like oh monday i was supposed to be wherever but it's like if you're then not there that's that's your reputation that's everything you I had Clint Joffrey on on the podcast. He is a former teammate and roommate of mine from college. So we're talking 20 years ago. I asked him what he most remembers from what our coach would preach. I talked about the peaks and valleys earlier. He said, if you're not five minutes early, you're late. 100%. The fact that he will remember that the rest of his life. The fact that that was repeated ad nauseum, which bothered us at the time, but if you internalize that for the rest of your life, it's worth it. Yep. Let him repeat it as coach. Go ahead, coach. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Because it's not going to stick with everybody. But no. those of us few it does stick with, yep. it's going to change our lives yep. for the better. My dad, he, my dad used to tell me that uh, failure to prepare in itself is preparing to fail. And it's, you, you go in and, you know, after working for him, I kind of wanted to do my own thing and go into job interviews. And he's like, what are you going to tell him? And I was like, oh, I don't know what he's going to ask me. He's like, of course you know what he's going to ask you. And I'm like, oh, well, just tell him when I'm there. And he's like, 
don't be such a fool. He's like, do you want this job? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, how badly do you want it? I'm like, well, pretty bad. He's like, what do you do every Tuesday and Thursday? I'm like, well, I go to hockey practice. He's like, well, why do you do hockey practice? I'm like, well, because we got games at the weekend. He's like, well, why don't you just do the games at the weekend and not do the hockey practice? What's the difference with this interview? It's like your interview is in itself is the game to get you into what would be the final of having the job. So you're not going to do your practice before you play this game. And you know, I sort of look at him like, like, damn, I didn't know you were this smart. <laughs> like, you know who Charlie Munger is? No. He's the right-hand man of Warren Buffett. He's right. also an okay. attorney, yeah. wealthy, billionaire philanthropist. He said the will to prepare is more important than the will to win. I believe that. Yeah, definitely. You prepared for this podcast, didn't you? I sure you? did. I got some couple of bits of stuff down here. I love it. Do you have an internal monologue? Yeah. Yeah? Does it run constantly? Uh, Pretty most, much. Most of the time. Yeah. Okay. Most people do. <laughs> yeah. I don't. He's got a much better voice than me, though. I can't. <laughs> I don't know what, what happened, but... <laughs> but you get a um, match at work, don't you? Aren't you an invested? Yeah, yeah. In, there's okay. a RSP, the retirement savings plan. That's thing free that they money. They're matching that yeah, 3%. Is, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Are you doing any, um, any other investing on so top of that? So, not, not any other investing. Like I said, we... I've looked at it, I've seen it, and I, I'm fully aware that I'm particularly small-minded when it comes to it. I've been trained m- most of my life being from a small town that it's like, you know, it's all, it's all voodoo and these people don't really exist and their money doesn't, it's not real. And you're kind of like, yeah, you know, there's, there's lots of things like, you know, the, my um, like mentors, you know, my, my dad, my uncles, my grandfathers, you know, some of my dad's friends, these guys that you see or like, older guys on my hockey teams or whoever whoever it is work colleagues they're like no 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 like it's all like it's all nonsense you'll never you know all, these people are all born into wealth they're they're rich from the moment they were conceived so it's it's almost a accept your place at the bottom of the barrel and just enjoy what you do have so what age do you plan to retire well at the moment i think it's probably going to be about somewhere between 65 and 70 okay. I, think, I think I'll be I'd like it to be much sooner Yes. if, if I can make it so admittedly I'm a product of my upbringing, I'm a carpenter the same as my dad, he's a product of his upbringing, he, was, he is a carpenter the same as my grandfather was and like, I, I certainly don't want the same for, for our three, the best thing that I can offer them is the advice that I got give it to them at a younger age yes. so that they can process and understand that and kind of be be ahead of the curve more so than than I was or I am but yeah retirement's actually a bit of a it's a bit of a funny one because when when I genuinely look at what I do should I have asked for more money yes I should have done but I look and think if if I was wealthy enough to the point that I didn't need the job like it sounds kind of sad, but I I like it, I enjoy it, and I I think I'd still do it for nothing. If if it was financially viable, I don't think I'd do it for nothing. Purely because I know the people out there who employ. I've read some horror stories about Amazon of people being poorly paid. I think that's that's what the elite want is for us to work for nothing. So on on that premise, no, I wouldn't. Just because I you know I know that's what they want. I mean, being in Vancouver, I know 
I, I work with lots of people that own own properties. You know, they have their own house. They have rental properties. Uh, there's a guy I work with who invested and bought a bunch of boats, and uh, he he's got a little. You know, it's nothing huge. It's just a couple of guys that um, are up on one of the lakes in BC there, and people rent the boats off him, and you can go and rent jet skis from him for you know going out into the inlet, uh, the Broad Inlet in Vancouver. There, he earns more from those than he does in his job. Vancouver is obviously a bit of a extreme example just because it's so expensive to live there. Like you kind of do need a, a good couple of couple of incomes just to get by. Prayer or meditation? Uh, kind of neither. Neither? Spiritual at all? Where I'm from is very much C of E, Church of England. Okay. And uh, ironically, my one of my cousins was a pastor. I've been, <laughs> I've traveled to the Holy Land. I've been to Jerusalem. Uh, funny story with my dad, we, we, you do a tour out of Jerusalem to what they claim is Bethlehem, which is a... Cool spot. There's a nice big stone building there that's, that's got you know the little. Well, see, this is one of my things. Is that the guy was like, "This is the the inn where Jesus was born," and I was like, "Well, the story goes, he wasn't born in the inn. He was born in the stable." Mm-hmm. And the guy was like, uh, "My dad nudged me, and he said, he's like, oh. he's like, can you can you believe how old tech screws are?'" I'm like, "What do you mean?" And he, he, the guy was like, this is the original, this is as much as what's left of the original building. And we were like, oh, okay. And there's a couple of big tech screws that hold together. And my dad says, like, well, that's not any kind of strong joint. It's not a lap joint. You know, it's not. He's like, that's just two pieces of wood screwed together with a tech screw that was probably invented 10 years ago. Oh, so we, <laughs> we have some skepticism. And You want to do some fun questions? Absolutely. Sure thing. Social media, do you think that's a net negative or net positive for society? For me, the positive side, social media is awesome in that I can keep in touch with my family that are 7,000 kilometers away from where I live sure. in an instant. Some other sides of it, well, you know, uh, like you know, maybe people can have access to too much of your information or, or like people can share too much of their information. Okay, gun to your head. Mm-hmm. So let's say a suitcase of $4 million mm-hmm. on, their, on the table there. If you get this question right, you get the $4 million. If you get it wrong, you get the bullet. Mm-hmm. Was the Will Smith-Chris Rock thing real or fake? Fake. Agree. I... I watched, it was just this morning, just before I headed down, and there was a snippet of a recording from Jada to Will, and he, and he said something along the lines of, I don't want to be recorded at home in my own house. I've seen it. And when I saw that, and I think maybe she has some narcissistic tendencies, I guess. And manipulative. You know what I think her problem is? I think she wants Tupac, and she's got Will Smith. Yeah. He may have been in Bad Boys, but I think he's a nice guy. <laughs> right. He's too nice right. for her. Yes. Will Smith is probably one of, you know, he's in my top ten favorite actors for movies and sitcoms, like The Fresh Prince. Yes. I grew up watching that. That was, like, 
I would make sure I was up. It was played in a, uh, on a Saturday morning just after the cartoons. I used to go into my sister's room because she had the TV upstairs, not me. So I used to have to creep into my sister's room and would sit at the end of her bed where she couldn't see me watching the cartoons, staying quiet. And then she'd always flick over and watch The Fresh Prince. He's releasing his music and the Men in Black and all the movies. I'd say like a, you know, an idol, but he's kind of been there at every step of the way as I've been growing up, be it music, TV or movies. It's what, like 2000, so we were like 14. And some of like the, the older, like we hung around with some older kids and they were like, oh no, you want to listen to these songs from back in like the 80s and 90s and like this, this band called N.W.A., my, my parents aren't going to let me listen to that. Like, I'll listen to Will Smith. <laughs> they, they, they don't mind me listening to his music. <laughs> I had a little jukebox that I kept underneath my bed. And a kid who was a year older than me in elementary school recorded the NWA tape for me. He had one of those dual cassette yeah. tapes. So straight out of Compton, yeah. I was listening to, it's not about a salary, it's all about reality. <laughs> gangsta, gangsta. <laughs> Real low, yeah. so yeah. my parents couldn't hear it. Yeah, dope man, dope man, dope man yeah. not good for a nine year old no, to be no. listening <laughs> to that. But do you know that even at that age, I was thinking, I'm not going to allow this to impact how I conduct myself in the world. So many people. You could tell by looking at them what music they yeah, listen to. I didn't. I never wanted to nope. be that guy. So I remember when I, when I was at school, we were kind of forced into an instrument. And I was very fortunate that there was two doors we had to walk into. And I, I was told to go into one. But when I got there, I couldn't remember. And I was like, I'm going to the door to the left. Whatever it was, I was just going to the door to the left. And in the door to the left was a man sat all by himself at a drum kit. And he was over the moon that I walked in because nobody went in to do the drums. Hmm. Through the other door... Do you know what an ocarina is? Mm-mm. It's like a little flute. Okay. And you, it's like, and it's four holes on the top, two holes on the bottom. And you're just like... <laughs> so everyone that listened, they were like, oh, we need to do on the, the door on the right. And mm-hmm. I was like, door on the left. And I met a man called Andy, who was the, the drum teacher. And I ended up playing the drums all the way through high school from a well, while. And part of it is, you know, there's like show and tells. And I remember my friend Dan who was, like, he's, he's a big, big dude. He was one of the, you know, one of the sport kids. And then he's up on stage, you know, like, 16 years old. He's, like, six foot two. And he's got this little ocarina, like... <laughs> and I just remember looking at him, like, wow, dude. <laughs> and, like, everyone's looking, like, is that Dan? Like, dude. And then they were, like, oh, and our percussion section's going to come up. And as it was only me... My drum teacher came up and he did some stuff as well. And I spoke to my friend Tom who plays guitar. And at the time, I wasn't really dressed like it, but I used to listen to a lot of punk rock, like Blink-182, Green Day. Um, What's my age again? Well, we went up and we sang, uh, we did a Damn It from the Dude Ranch album. My math teacher came up, he played guitar as well. And I remember everyone just sat there like, we could learn to play the drum. Like, who told me we could learn to play the drums? The door to the left. Five years ago, mm. should have gone. To, and they're, they're all up on the stage doing, you know, like Mary had a little lamb or something on their little ocarina things. Two minutes later, me and my friends and you know we're rocking out to Blink One Eighty Two. Door and to it the was, left. Yeah, I like door, that. The door to the left. So I'm left-handed, and because of that, Same. 
Ah, yeah. so we're only an eighth of the population, something like 12 and a half percent. Well, I'm a little less because I'm ambidextrous, so I can use both. Me too. <laughs> Look, I'm riding with my right hand, yeah. as you can see. Yeah. So because of that, if I go and get you and me a drink somewhere, the way that I would remember that my drink is on the left is I would hold it in my left hand. Do you do the same thing? Are you serious? My drink, that's always my side. Yes. And even when when we were younger and we go out and like I go to the bar, like I'd be a bunch of friends, I grab a bunch of shots, I'd always hold it and I'd I'd hand them out and I'd hand them out and the last one was always in my left hand. Always, Love it. always in the left, yeah. You and I have a lot in common. <laughs> we do. I will say this, though. When I got married, my wife became my left. So I, if I go get a drink for my wife and I at a party, she is in my left hand because yeah. that's my gift to her that she doesn't know about. She'll yeah. learn about that on this podcast. She won't make it through three hours of this yeah. podcast. But <laughs> my next fun question for you in their prime, who are you taking on a dinner date? Heather Locklear, Kathy Ireland, or Christy Brinkley? I'm going to say Heather Locklear only because I hope that she's still got Tommy Lee's number because I'd like to hang out with Tommy Lee. Mm. That sounds like fun. Yeah, that does sound <laughs> like a good time. Okay, in their prime, who, who are you taking on a dinner date? Cameron Diaz, <laughs> Alicia Silverstone, or Christine Taylor, the gal who played Jan in the Brady Bunch movie. So just yesterday, I was, we were sat by the pool, we were watching Netflix, and I was looking through for a movie to pick. And on there, one is my favorite actor in Jim Carrey in the 92 film, I think, The Mask, starring Cameron Diaz in her, her breakout performance. And my wife will tell you, we, we do the the three people if you know you could get away with the three people and the top of my list would be Cameron Diaz my, my no, wife the three people my, you can get away with yeah, sleeping with yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my wife hates she's like she's like gosh it's not even like she's good looking I'm like I disagree like I think she's gorgeous it doesn't have anything to do with the semen in the hair or anything uh not really I don't know she's okay did you hear Jim Carrey talk about Chris Rock suing Will Smith for $200 million. Huh? Yeah. Jim Carrey said, if I'm Chris Rock, I'm suing Will Smith for $200 million. Right. He's got a pretty strong case. It's on live TV at the Oscars, so that's pretty smart. The statement that Jim Carrey made that upsets me the most is that he's quitting Hollywood. That he doesn't like Hollywood and the culture that's in Hollywood. Do you know problem. who Robert Greene is? He's... Basically, my favorite author. I don't. He wrote The 48 Laws of Power, The Art of Seduction, a book called Mastery. Should you partake in my coaching program? And yeah. I'll have you reading some of these books or at least certain excerpts from them. A lot of The 48 Laws of Power was written because of the toxicity of Hollywood that he claims is... It's worse than corporate culture in America. It's worse than... Which in itself is disgusting, but... Yeah. That's, I think that's the... Like, going back to the small town mentality, I think that is what... I don't. I mean, maybe it's subconsciously, but I think that's what, in like these little towns, not just in England, but all over the world, in the States and everywhere, in Canada, they, I think they try to preserve the small town 
ness of a small town because of everything you know you see places like hollywood and new york and just some of the disgusting debaucherous things that happen and that have happened and i mean hopefully not but probably are happening right now and it's it's what that culture you know generates like the weinstein fellow yeah the whole weinstein thing and I liked what you had to say about Cameron Diaz, so I'm going to give you one more of those. You get a dinner date with Halle Berry or Scarlett Johansson. Who are you taking? By the way, who are your other two? Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'm not going to say. Okay. One, who- one is a more, I mean, not quite vintage, but one is an older actress Okay. that... I mean, hell, even now, like, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> um, the other, the other's a little obscure. I don't know if anyone would even know. It's kind of, uh, she's a bit of a TV personality from c- very close to home. <laughs> okay. Well, there's nothing worse for a podcast listener when a question no. is asked and the, no, the guest know. says, I'm not going to answer that. So Pro- problem is my wife may hear this podcast. I don't want to upset her. Who is, oh, so she doesn't know who the three are? Oh, no, I suppose she does know. Well, who's on your wife's three? I think hers were a little obscure as well. One is Seth Rogen. Uh, yeah, yeah, Seth Rogen, the, the actor. Yeah. So there was Seth Rogen, I think Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Which, he's a, he's a handsome son of a gun, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. He's, yeah, I don't, I don't blame him for that. He was great and, uh, in Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Oh, that movie's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Just unreal. I can't remember who the third one was. Are you a fan of Tim Hortons? Tim Hortons? Oh, absolutely. I know who he was as well. You know who he was? Yeah. What well, do you people, mean? Everyone knows about Tim Hortons, the coffee shop. Right. The donut shop, as it right. was. Do you know who Tim Hortons, do you know what he's famous for? He used no. to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's a hockey player. Get out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he owned the franchise. Uh, I don't think he owns it now, but he was, it, like, Tim Horton was, it was him. Fair to say and, that's uh, your favorite coffee shop? Now, just because, like, I live in Canada, so there's one every block, block or half a block. But, well, I mean, being from England, coffee was the, the antichrist. It's tea. It has to yeah. be tea. The best tea, if you're going to get tea, is to buy Yorkshire tea bags. It's a little... It's a little green box. It's got like a little town on it with a red label. It says Yorkshire Tea. The best tea bags in the world, okay. hands down. Take it from hands my... F- you may be my first British guest, Yorkshire Tea. Ooh. Yorkshire Tea. To take the place of coffee. I've been looking mm. for a coffee substitute just yep. to see if I could do it. Only problem here, you can't get it this side of the pond. Oh, the, on- the only place I've known to get it is I was back home. And we, where I grew up is not... It's an- 45 minutes away from South Yorkshire. So. And you can't import it in these days of the internet? Well, yeah, you could import it. I, don't, I mean, it costs you a bit more, but it's 100% worth it. And you always just, anyone like, oh, I get mutilated for this, but you pour the hot water in the cup first, then you dunk the tea bag. You do not put the hot water on the tea bag because it sits at the bottom. If you put it in after and you let it dangle in there, then the tea leaves can circulate better and you get a better, fuller taste in tea. So you wake up yeah. in the morning, you drink tea, not coffee? 
right now I drink coffee because I live in North America and that's what everyone does and you need it to function because <laughs> when you show up to work and everyone's had like two cups of coffee and you've had one cup of tea you're, you've got some catching up to do <laughs> <laughs> I like that name two of your best friends quickly Stuart Spence best buddy since I can probably remember and my buddy Andy Meeson who we grew up we went to school together He's oh. just awesome. Okay, you and Stuart and Andy can go anywhere in the world for two weeks. Where would you go? Me and Stu, 100%, would either go back to Canada. Or no, you've got to go the three of you. The three together. of us, we'd go to Sweden. Sweden, why? Sweden. Stu and I have done Sweden twice together. It's an unbelievable country, absolutely amazing. And Andy's our buddy, and he's out number two to one, so he'd just come along. <laughs> What's amazing about it? Um. The food, first and foremost, that like they do these incredible pastries and stuff. The food is absolutely phenomenal. Their history and their culture, their language. I've tried to pick up a little bit of Swedish. Uh, saying hello is easy. It's just hey. Uh, saying goodbye is hey door. They're just the most welcoming people. My friend Lars, we uh, he was in England. It was that's where I met him. He was. Uh, one of my dad's friends, my dad's friend owned a pub. I went to the pub with my dad just on the off chance. Lars is there. I had a hockey jersey on and he was like, oh, you like hockey? We got chatting. He's totally awesome. And he, he messaged me one day. I was at home and he's like, your birthday's in April, right? And I was like, yes. And he's like, perfect. He's like, you need to book tickets and fly to Gothenburg. It's where he lives. Uh, and he's like, I've got four tickets to watch two two games the double IHF world championships are happening so I went and I watched Russia versus Austria and Sweden versus Slovenia and he like he just messaged me out of the blue and like he you know this thing this tournament was happening and he could get tickets and he thought of me back in England wow and he's an awesome we went and he we stayed at his house and his him and his wife are the most hospitable people ever and they they took us out to all like some of the like touristy bits so we could go and see it and they never asked for a dime for anything and like I, I took my mum along with Lars was like well I think I was only like, like 14 or 15 or something and he was just the coolest dude ever and then like I've been to Stockholm with Stu and Stu's uncle lives in Luleå which is a very northern Sweden we've been up to Luleå to hang out with his uncle it was just the nicest place everyone is so nice it's a beautiful place to be like if you ever get ever get to go to northern Sweden to like Luleå, it's on like the Finnish border. Okay, let's say you're stuck in northern Finland mm-hmm. by yourself, and you can only bring one band's album with you. <laughs> Who are you taking with you? Oh man, that sucks. One album. So I like a lot of classic rock. I listen to lots of Led Zeppelin. I listen to the, like big stuff like ACDC. Or even uh, like Black Sabbath, like Ozzy Osbourne's from the West Midlands, not far from where I grew up. We we always heard lots of Ozzy or lots of Black Sabbath. Maybe the the Black Sabbath album actually that's amazing. <laughs> that's that's a tough one. Either Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath. I think Beavis and Butthead yeah. made Black Sabbath popular <laughs> among people my age. <laughs> If someone gave you $100,000 and forced you to invest it in one of three companies, Tesla, Airbnb, or Spotify, where are you putting the $100,000? Hmm. Well, maybe not with Airbnb, just because we had 
a couple of issues with the one that we have now, the oven not working. I thought you uh, used VRBO. It's through Airbnb. So we use VRBO that went through Airbnb. Oh, I didn't know it worked yeah, that way. The, the, Interesting. The, like, they're wanna, in cahoots. Yeah, yeah, they're all, they're all linked. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, you, I see a lot about Tesla. Every time you open social media, there's the, you know, the Tesla stock advertisement that you click on, I guess, maybe Tesla. Okay. You think anything changes now that Musk has a 9% stake in Twitter? Uh, yeah. You I, think well, it'll become... Why, why would you buy a 9% stake if you weren't going to change it? Okay. What sort of changes do you suspect? Um, I think on the face of it, he's going to... Uh, like, I don't know if he's going to go down the route... You know, like Facebook have done this, um, like the metaverse thing, where it's this, this, you know, this virtual reality. I don't know if he's going to go down that kind of route, maybe. Um, I mean, he is a tech billionaire, so like I'm pretty sure it's not too much of a stretch for him. Um, I'd like to think maybe he'd kind of make it a little better. And, you know, as I said earlier, like it's, it's pretty... Twitter has its... Uh, it's pros and cons in that you know, like you can get in touch with basically anyone, be them family, friend, celebrity, or like you know, I could log on now and send a message directly to Elon Musk that he's probably going to see, like how you know, there's no other way. I mean, obviously you could do it via phone or email, but you need his phone number, you need his email, you need. You know, you need to be accepted as his friend on his actual Facebook account if that's the way you're going to. Like Twitter, you just follow him and you can send it. Like the access to these people that we have because of Twitter is awesome. Have you ever paid for an app? Yeah. You say it like you've paid for many. Yeah, doesn't everyone? Give me an example of like your favorite app that you've paid for or that you're happy that you paid for. There's there's one on uh, on my wife's phone that's uh, it's a language app. It's really really famous. It's not Rosetta Stone. Duolingo. Duolingo, and we got it probably a month ago before we came here for Evie, and she's been learning Spanish before she wanted to come here. So it's she, not free. She, no. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I've always used Duolingo for free, but this is three or four years ago. So maybe it's not free anymore. I mean, it wasn't much. I think it's like. Dollar or dollar ninety nine, like it's like ninety nine cents or dollar ninety nine or okay. something. Give me another one. I mean, the rest, I guess, is just stupid games, just click games. They're they're fun. You you, know, you just click on it. You, you do villages, or there's you know you can run an airport. You can like it's all these weird and mad games, and it's cool. You just sit there and you just click on it and just pass the time. It's fun, I guess. But yeah. then the the other side of that is I always have these little mental breakdown moments where I'm like, I really could have used that time better. Be that something physical, going out and kicking a ball with the kids, doing maybe finishing a couple of emails for work and sending them off, maybe looking into an investment thing where I can sit and play this stupid game as much as I want when I'm at home and you know I'm still benefiting from something because I spent a little bit of time doing something different. But How do you yeah. get your music? YouTube music through my Android phone. Okay. Podcast, same thing? Podcasts I get from, I guess it's Google Podcasts. Okay. You listen to Man Overseas Podcasts through Google Podcasts? I, I sure do. Okay. The one, like I've only really recently been doing podcasts. I found out when I bought my new truck, 
it connected to my phone and the first thing that came up on the screen was would you like to download a podcast and uh like being a hockey guy i was just typed in hockey and it came up with the spitting chicklets one which is awesome I, I listen to well i think i think i've got through all 300 and whatever it is episodes so i'm like waiting <laughs> waiting for the new ones now but one year ago, the average car payment was $537. I think it's up $100 now. Is your car payment, your truck, the, yeah. the one you just bought, yeah. is it, it higher a, or lower than the average? It's, yeah, it's about the, the 600 mark, yeah. Meghan Markle, if you were <laughs> hooking her up with your friend, not that you would do so, but <laughs> what would you say about her? Being a Brit... She she is an enigma to me because, I mean, every little girl wants to be a princess. Right. I'm not necessarily every little boy wants to be a prince, but I'm pretty sure that for me to denounce my affiliation as a prince with my own royal family, she's got to be something special for me to not be a prince anymore because he's not officially the he's well he was what the the duke of cambridge i think but he's not like he's i don't think he has his title at all now and he's he's doing some like mentorship thing in the states and i'm like you you were a prince you are the direct grandson of queen elizabeth ii would a woman come in and tell me that I'm coming away from my family and I can't see or speak to my family anymore and I've got to denounce my affiliation with my family. Uh-uh. Like, they're my family. Like, well, what are you talking about? So for him to, for him to do what he's done, either she's, she is extremely special, extremely special, or, or otherwise, I, I don't even know. I don't want to speculate. I don't know. But he, he is or was a prince and he was in line to the throne there's a lot of people i've met in my life in england there's thousands of them all around from when i was really little in my hometown to travel around playing hockey not one of them is anywhere near the you know being on the hierarchy for the throne he was and now he's not well who was jazzy jeff's best friend will smith the fresh prince the fresh prince i think they have a lot in yeah. common well yeah, yeah, yeah. You're hosting a dinner party at your house. Cost is not an issue. Are you having four, six, or 12 guests? Can I have more? No. 12. More the merrier? More the merrier. At this dinner party, you, you cling, cling your glass. You stand up because you want to thank everyone for coming. What do you say next? Thanking them for being a part of my life and being a friend. I've... Uh, my first Canadian Thanksgiving, my friend and his wife invited myself, my wife, and our children and some other friends to a, a particularly nice house in Whistler, and they cooked us a really nice meal, and we had a really lovely Canadian Thanksgiving, our very first one, and I did stand up and wanted to thank them for their friendship, for their kindness, for their honesty for all the help and guidance they gave us. They lived in, they, they're from the UK and they moved to Vancouver. They did it all before us and gave me just a world of advice. And with, <laughs> with tears in my eyes, all I could say was thank you. 
and to this day and for every day of the rest of my life I will be thankful for their help beautiful your opinion of Donald Trump <laughs> entertaining very entertaining um, I, I used to like watching um, is it The Apprentice that he did that was that was awesome um, huge kudos to his two little side helpers that helped him they clearly very very busy people as he's unhinged unhinged as a, a guy that I worked with he's from the States who's only we were talking about him and just just a couple of the random mental off the wall comments that he made I can't remember exactly which ones they were there was so many but he said that man has the nuclear codes that's the guy and I mean that terrifies me <laughs> are you more comfortable with Biden having them no when with Biden he is beyond retirement age so like you know the sort of life goal is to retire as soon as you can with you know a decent amount of wealth that you can enjoy a comfortable lifestyle so he's beyond there he's been a politician he was vice president to Obama like he's I'm pretty sure he's done pretty well financially and now he went for the presidency I'm like do I, do I trust a guy who you know is maybe wearing the depends because <laughs> on, on them you can <laughs> I don't I don't know it's a, that's a weird one do you think they allow him alone when he's awake? <laughs> well, I think in, in that kind of position, being, I mean, President of the United States or Prime Minister of Canada, of the UK, President of Russia, like, I don't, I think your day is going to be pretty busy. Like, you know, running a nation, I don't, that's not a, an eight-hour job. In his schedule, Ronald Reagan had blocked off staff time, quote, staff time, and that was a euphemism for nap time. <laughs> I might start doing that when I get back to work. <laughs> yes, we, we, we all benefit from naps. I yeah. think they should teach us that in school. Why do we take naps in kindergarten or yep. preschool we, and then stop when, when we uh, need When I played most? hockey, like, I mean, I was only in a semi-professional league, but there were some pro guys there. We were... I mean, for want of a better word, we were like forced to take a nap. So, awesome. And it was like you were given, depending on face-off time, it'd be sort of, you know, maybe 12 till 2 or if it was a little earlier, we'd go like, you know, 11 till 1. And like we, we had to do that. Like we, we had the, like a team physiotherapist who swore by it and she'd say, she's like, go and get a nap. And then you'll get up, quick bite to eat, come to the rink, You'll start doing your thing. Your brain's going to be firing because you're plenty rested. Get plenty of water before you sleep. First thing when you wake up, drink a liter of water. Make your way to the rink. So smart. Oh, and you're right. Like they do it in kindergarten. You know, they, you, if you're tired, you don't you don't absorb information because you're just not you're not listening to it because your body's trying to shut down because you're tired and you want to go to sleep. Right. So I mean, taking a nap and waking up and it's probably the best time to yeah. learn. I've I've read somewhere that. The most successful CEOs take naps discreetly. They've yeah. figured out how to work in a nap discreetly because it's so stigmatized in the U.S. Yep. Like you don't take a nap, it's looked down upon. Well, but it? if you can figure out how to do it discreetly, Jeff, do it. Jeff Bezos does his, his meetings 
you've got like minutes with him. I was re, uh, watching an interview with him, and he said, like, if, if you can't tell me what I need to know in those few minutes, then I don't need to hear it. And then he said the rest of the day is then spent him, like, not necessarily napping, but just sitting back and relaxing and not really thinking about anything, but he's still kind of switching off. Of the, I mean, the richest guy on the planet, most of his day is spent in, like, a semi-nap state. And I think those guys, too, if you wanted to have a meeting with them... A lot of times they would say, walk with me. Like, let's walk. Yeah. Because that is so good for the mind. Yeah, you're pumping the blood around your body. It's going to your brain. You're going. Absolutely. Last question, my friend. How can people connect with you online if they wanted to ask a question, tell you you did a great job on the podcast, anything (laughs) at all? How would they find you? I'm on Facebook. James Caulfield, you'll find me. Location says Vancouver, BC. I haven't found any other Caulfields that are in Vancouver, so that's a pretty good, pretty good way. I might start up a Twitter just for this. I don't know. Maybe I'll try and learn how to use it too. Twitter <laughs> is the best social media app, in my opinion, and the reason is because you can curate your feed to where you are following only the brightest minds in the world. Jim. This is my top two or three podcasts all time. I've enjoyed it that much. I really appreciate you coming in. I'm happy to be here. This is awesome. If there's anything I can ever do for you, please let me know. Well, we'll be getting in touch anyway. Yes, sir. For some coaching. Yes, sir. You're you're a wealth of knowledge. Thank you for saying that. No, no problem. Friends, thank you for tuning in to this episode. It means so much to me. If you enjoyed it, Please copy the link and share it with a friend and just say this episode between Jim and Brad is worth your time. Have a listen. And if you wish to follow my adventures on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at man underscore overseas. Thank you, folks.